Thank you, Chair. Staff is ready when you are. Great. Good evening. And welcome to the March 13th, 2023 uh, meeting of the Sacramento Community Police Review Commission. It is really good to see everybody. Welcome. Good to be back in person. Um, the meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll and establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Carter? Present. Commissioner Carter Martinez? Present. Commissioner Espinosa Salazar? Commissioner Guerrero? Commissioner Johnson? <clears throat> Commissioner Marion is absent. Vice Chair Bliss? Here. And Chair Castillo Krings? Here. Thank you. We have quorum. Great. I would like to remind the members of the public and in chambers um, that if you would like to speak on the agenda item, please turn in a speaker slip when the item begins. For a member of the public who wishes to join virtually, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Um, and then make sure you use the raise your hand feature. For if you're calling, um, if you're online, please raise your hand at the bottom of your screen. If you're using a mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping on raise hand uh, option on the more tab. If you're calling via telephone, uh, raise, to raise your hand, dial star nine, then to unmute or mute, dial star six. Speakers will be called by the last four digits of their phone number. We're changing things up just a little bit when it comes to public comment. To provide greater community participation in our commission's work, we will allow more time for the members of the public to give comments, and we ask the clerk to keep, up the, the, to keep the queue of the public comments open until the last speaker has concluded, concluded their comments. For matters not on the agenda, the public will have five minutes to speak, once they're called upon. For matters listed on the agenda, the public will get three minutes to speak once they're called upon. Okay, and then we will now proceed with today's agenda. The first thing we will do is the land acknowledgement and the Pledge of Allegiance. Please rise for the opening and acknowledgement in our honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisan people, the Maidu, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plain Miigwok, Pati Wintun peoples, and for the peoples of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's histories, contribution, and their lives. Thank you. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Okay, now we will begin with our staff reports. For um, the first one is my report. I am going to follow up with you via email. There's a couple of training opportunities that the Sacramento, the Sacramento PD has actually extended to everybody. There are now that COVID is um, 
not necessarily behind us, but that we're able to do things more openly. There are opportunities for us to do additional trainings, to do ride-alongs, and so that is an invitation that the police department has extended to the commission, and just uh, other opportunities for us to join them. So I will follow up with all of you on via email, and, and make sure that we're kind of, if you have time, to start doing some of those things to make sure that we understand some of the work that happens with our police department a little bit more. So that is my um, update for now. The next thing we have is, I know that we are no longer part of um, OPSA, but in the past, the Office of Public Safety and Accountability has provided an update. Um, that might change moving forward, but for now, we're still gonna go ahead and ask for an update. Anybody from OPSA available to provide an update? Chair, I see uh, no one online from that organization. Thank you. Um, and I know that we also used to have, um, I don't see it today, but I'm gonna add it anyway. I know we tend to have an update from the Sacramento Police Department. Usually that update is now provided by um, Mario Lara. Is he available? Okay, and one quick change to the agenda. Unfortunately, we were gonna have Kai Morton, who's currently the chair of the Sacramento um, County Commission, and unfortunately, he had a family emergency and will not be able to join us, so we will not have that item on the agenda, so we're gonna move on um, for that one, and that is item, bear with me, that is the last item, item number five, so we're gonna have to postpone that one. Great. Now we have um, Mr. Guerrero, Commissioner Guerrero. So, I, I mean, I, I think we were just gonna go over without really discussing it, but I think it's, it's concerning to me that OPSA is not here, but more importantly, or I shouldn't say more importantly, um, that we don't have a liaison here from SACPD. We had, it, as you know, Madam Chair, we had a recommendation that was actually discussed by the City Council, and unless I'm mistaken, that was approved, that we needed to have someone here um, from SACPD, a representative. And this may be the second meeting that we don't have one. I could be mistaken, but either way, it's a concern. I'm, suggest, I'm gonna suggest that we write a letter on behalf of the commission um, to the mayor and council um, asking what's going on. Actually, I would like to get clarification, legal clarification from Adriel, our council. My understanding, um, because that, you are correct, that that was one of the items that was brought up last summer that was actually approved by the city council. When council has taken action before something changes, does that action have to be taken back to the council for anything to change? Before I answer that, can I get clarification on what action you're saying? Yes, so one of the, one of the recommendations was that SPD was gonna have a liaison in, at the, every commission meeting moving forward. That was one, so one of the things that the um, chief had mentioned, said we're already doing that. Everyone was saying, yay, we can go ahead and move forward. Action was taken to say yes, that was gonna be moving forward. We, the commission was gonna have a PD liaison. That hasn't happened, and my question is, Legally, if council takes action, what is the normal protocol if, if staff is gonna deviate from the council's direction? You know, I'll probably have to relook at that item because I don't think they took action. I think they received the information that uh, PD was already in compliance 
with that recommendation. And so I don't think the council took action at all on it. <clears throat> but the city manager does have the authority to direct um, his staff. And I believe my understanding is that he selected um, assistant city manager, Laura, to act as the PD liaison. Um, I have a next speaker, Commissioner Bliss. Thank you, Chair. Yeah, I want to echo uh, Commissioner Guerrero's uh, concern and frustration that PD is not here represented um, uh, with a liaison, and it appears that the Assistant City Manager Lara is also not present. Which we have several questions that we were uh, that I personally was hoping to ask him um, related to or related to both uh, the items that we're going to be discussing tonight, as well as um, the status of the. Uh, police department's review of our recommendations, uh, which we had submitted to them um, in a new comprehensive format um, for each year from 2018 to 2021, uh, which th they were charged with going through and providing us with um, an update on what recommendations they had implemented, uh, which ones they had not, and uh, an explanation as to why. And we have yet to get that here um, in, like, as of March 2023 when that was submitted back in November 2020, uh, 2022. So it's, it is frustrating and problematic that they are not present, like that nobody from the city uh, that is liaisoning between us and the department is present to actually answer those questions. And I would actually, if we make a motion up to do a letter, I would actually support it. Well, it was a motion. It was a motion. So I would second that motion. I'm sorry, can I ask for clarification? I missed the motion. I apologize. The, the motion was to write a, a letter on behalf of the commission to the mayor and council asking them if they could help us clarify what the issue is with SAC PD not having a representative here for a couple of meetings now. Okay. <clears throat> Since that's not on the agenda, that's something we'll have to agendize in order for the commission to vote on it. So just a point of clarification. But then nothing precludes the, the chair and the vice chair to jointly write a letter to the city council, right? As long as we don't take a vote right now. Correct. You can write a letter. It just can't be on behalf of the commission because the commission hasn't voted on it. Uh, you, you would be writing in your capacities as chair and vice chair of the commission. Uh, that makes, I guess that makes sense. Uh, we could at least draft a, a letter for the commission to review and approve for next session, uh, for the next meeting, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, and we could also submit one on, on just our behalf as well, alongside an additional letter from the full commission. That is correct. Okay, just wanted to make sure. And if I could just provide context, I mean, I think it's important for folks hearing us, I mean, I think it's really important to have SAC PD. We've had this conversation many times. Mm -hmm. In order for the commission to do its work, we need SAC PD um, here. We need them to be partners. We're not always gonna agree, but there's a lot of information that they have. They implement policies and programs. We're here to give some level of oversight on policies and programs and to give advice to the mayor and council. We can't do our jobs if they're not here to answer questions. We have a log of requests if they're not here, they just keep going month after month after month. And not only that, but I thought this issue was settled. Um, I was part of that meeting with mayor and council, and uh, it's my recollection that they agreed that there should be a liaison here. And if that's not what they agreed on, the fact that um, SAC PD says we're already doing it and now they've stopped, 
that's in bad faith. That's not, that's not continuing on with, I think, the spirit of that conversation, if that was, in fact, what the mayor and council did. I think they approved um, SACPD to have a to require SACPD to have a liaison here, which, is, which was a commission requirement. So I really would appreciate if the chair and vice chair could take some action in the interim, and I'm certainly happy to support a letter on the agenda um, for the next uh, commission meeting. It's a shame, though, that we only get together once a month, and this is an issue, one of many, many that I thought we'd clarified. It's a shame that we keep going back to square one so often. So that's it, Madam Chair. Thank you. And actually, just following up on that, I know that, I, I know that we cannot vote on it officially until it's an agendized, but I'd just like to just show of hands from the commissioners who's feel, feeling comfortable moving forward with the letter and having the letter then next, next month. I can't do that. No. I can't do that. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Fair. Um, but um, I think what at this point in time, because we only meet once a month, my proposal is going to be to basically have a letter that the vice chair and I and Mr. Guerrero, because he was part of that conversation, sign on. We will bring it back. We will move forward with that letter to make sure that hopefully there's some action between now and the next meeting and then agendize that item for the entire commission to move forward on it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Guerrero, for bringing that up. Uh, uh, Chair, I just wanted to also just point out for the record, uh, I remember that conversation. Uh, I remember it as uh, city council direction to city staff to pro uh, ensure that there was a liaison present and that it hasn't just been a couple meetings. They have not had a liaison uh, present with us, I believe, as far back as May 2022. And we didn't learn that the city manager had um, essentially countermanded the city council direction by uh, designating the assistant city manager to serve as our liaison between us and the department going forward. We only learned that in September when we were trying to have a conversation around the military equipment use um, policy. So here we are, March 2023, we have not, like, and we don't have any liaison right now. And it, uh, yeah, I, I believe this is a very timely matter and uh, I'm looking forward to um, getting uh, further clarification and hopefully having a, 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 a direct conversation uh, between, the, like, between us and the police department here in the coming months. Great. Okay, thank you. Oh, I am so sorry. Commissioner Carter. Yes, I echo all the other commissioners and for the new commissioners, SAC PD was attending the commission meetings consistently up until we had the new chief of police. And when the new chief of police was appointed, then SAC PD or either the deputy uh, city manager or the chief of police, somebody decided they didn't need to be here. But up until that point, they were, for the most part, consistently present. So I just wanted to put that on the record. Why they're not here, I don't know. And at some point after the new chief of police was appointed, yes, Mr. Laura, he showed up on Zoom for some sessions, I guess substituting for the SAC PD. But for some reason, they are no longer present. So I just wanted to put that on the record. Thank you. So now we're moving on to our consent calendar. Uh, for the consent calendar, we have the approval of our commission meeting minutes. Do I have a motion? I'll make a motion. Thank you, Commissioner. 
Do I have a second? Seconded. With that, Mr. Clerk, can you please call the roll? Chair, can you please clarify uh, who seconded that? I heard uh, Commissioner Carter as well as Commissioner Bliss. I seconded the motion. Second also, but I defer. Can we have both? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Chair. Commissioner, Commissioner Carter? Aye. Commissioner Carter-Martinez? Aye. Commissioner Guerrero? Aye. Commissioner Johnson? Aye. Commissioner Marion is absent. Commissioner Espinoza-Salazar? Vice Chair Bliss? Yes. And Chair Castillo-Krings? Yes. Thank you. The motion passes. Now we are moving on to our first item on the discussion calendar. So one of the things that I want to bring up is we are actually trying to add to our work plan, which we discussed last week, or last meeting, I apologize. And a couple of items, one of the things that we found out, and by we I mean the, the vice chair and I found out that we do have to go through the PP&E committee in order for us to get our actual annual work plan finalized and then we can continue to move forward and work on it. Um, so we are tr trying to get that done. It's going to be agendized for the 21st of this month. One of the other things that we are working on is trying to get a series, kind of a timeline of requests that we're going to have from PD as to what kind of information we're going to need to help inform our work plan. Part of the work plan is kind of discussing the MEU policy that is before us. We know that the um, police department is hoping to bring that back in July possibly August, and so it is important for us to kind of have that conversation and get a couple of items done. One of the things when the City Council approved the MEU last year, they also asked us to put together a community plan that would basically help inform the police, the policy moving forward. So a couple of things that I just want to make sure that we bring up. The reason we are discussing the MEU policy is because of state legislation that passed it was um, Assembly Bill 481, and it really was hoping to have a more transparent dialogue with the community and with the, our decision makers at the city as to how and when military equipment is used, it's purchased, how much the city spends, and to make sure that it was really kind of looking at four major pieces. And I actually brought the, the language so I could read from it. It really tasked the city council to only approve military equipment use policy if it finds the following, and it has to meet all of the following. One, military equipment is necessary because there's no reasonable alternative that can achieve the same objective of an officer or civilian safety. Two, the proposed military equipment use policy will safeguard the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties. Three, if purchasing the equipment, the equipment is reasonably cost-effective compared to available alternatives that can achieve the same objective of officer and civilian safety. And lastly, prior military equipment use complied with the military equipment use policy that was in effect at the time, or if prior uses did not comply with the accompanying military equipment use policy, corrective action has been taken to remedy non-conforming uses and ensure future compliance. This is one of the big items. There's about 200 pages as part of our agenda to really like outline 
the, the general orders that are currently in place with PD and also start discussing the kind of action that took place um, January 31st, which was the approval of the Rook. I am not here to litigate that decision. The decision has been taken by council, but I think it does illustrate kind of areas of our policy that we need to address and areas that the commission can actually really step in and help um, address. A couple of items is when the annual policy was approved last year, things happened very quickly. That is one of the reasons we did not feel, the commission did not feel we had enough of an opportunity to really address a, a lot of the public's concerns. We are trying to rectify this moving forward so that we can have and basically present in collaboration with PD a plan that really takes into consideration all of that feedback that can inform the policy. I think if absent something like that, we end up having a discussion that occurred kind of at council where it's a lot of back and forth, but I think the community's frustrated, PD is frustrated, and at the end of the day, some of these issues are not really resolved in a thoughtful way. So I'm bringing that up because it's an example of, that's kind of the process we have right now. It's imperfect and it's not a good process. So one of the things that we just wanted to highlight and bring up, provide a little history, a lot of some context from some of our new commissioners. We have an opportunity to really address it and I think that there is a task that has been handed to us by the council to say put something together, put a community process and plan in place that can help do that. So I really bring that issue up because everybody here has different um, experiences and skill sets and I'm hoping that through this discussion that we can put together some thoughtful ideas on paper that we can kind of start teasing out and trying to figure out how we can provide feedback to council before a plan is adopted. Um, so those are some of the items. I'm opening it up for discussion. If any, I think we have to first do public, right? I'm a little rusty. Um, so, Mr. Clerk, any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no hands raised online, and I have one speaker uh, in chambers. Uh, Courtney Poole. Hi, everyone. Thank you for your time. Um, it'll just be real brief. I'm here in person, so I figured I might as well make a comment because I was kind of here for this agenda item. Um, I fully support adding this um, to your work plan because I think it's really important um, for you all, you're connected to the community more than SAC PD to be helping, especially with that um, meaningful community dialogue piece. Um, I was at some of the dialogues that SAC PD hosted and they were very harmful. Um, the community did not feel heard. So I'm, I'm hoping that you can help with that piece. Um, and then also with the Rook vote that happened in January, it's just very concerning that um, the community's voice isn't being heard. And I think that you all have some of that expertise and you can really help us with that too. So I appreciate that you're talking about this today and I support this. Thank, Thank you. you for your comments. Chair, I have no speakers online and no more uh, speaker slips for those in chambers. Any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? Commissioner Guerrero. Um, Madam Chair, I'd really 
you know, would want to hear from yourself and, and Vice Chair Bliss as the two commissioners that were really leading on this, but what I, um, what I will say, not being as involved as you all were um, in this policy is, you know, what can we learn from the issues um, that took place with the community meetings? So, for example, I've heard that, um, that uh, certainly, generally, that the community felt unheard, but also that um, folks felt uncomfortable in the room talking about policy um, with folks, with uh, peace officers that may have been involved in some prior, prior mm -hmm. incidents. And so I think that there needs to be some delicacy involved, you know, some understanding of, of those kinds of situations, uh, understanding who's in the room. Um, you know, certainly having the chief, or if we had a regular liaison here, either of them would be extremely appropriate to attend. Um, but, um, but um, you know, I think that, that that's important to, to take into consideration. Another is how many conversations were had, were, were they accessible? But again, other than those broad thoughts, I would really defer to yourself and our vice chair. Thank you, Madam Chair. Commissioner Bliss. Appreciate that comment, Commissioner Guerrero. Um, and yes, I remember those conversations very well. I attended two out of the three um, public com uh, community sessions that uh, Sacramento Police Department held. And one of the things that made uh, that I heard uh, members of the public and res uh, residents feeling uncomfortable about was the fact that it was both like it was entirely facilitated by police officers, and every single one, of, like and almost every one of the police officers in the room were armed, and. There was no real structured dialogue. There was no. Uh, there was no one actually taking notes to uh, allow, like, to show that uh, the police department was taking the, were taking their comments seriously, and there was really just no faci like facilitation or, or seriousness taken. And the fact that they included uh, um, an individual from the officer or uh, from the department who the community recognized as having killed a, a, a Sacramento community member was extremely problematic. It, it was disturbing, to say the least. I wasn't present at that, but I, had, I, I have been, continued to hear how upsetting and, um, and just traumatizing that, that interaction is when we, like, when we are approached with people that have caused serious harm and killed uh, our neighbors and fellow community members. One of the things I wanna uh, really ground us in this conversation, as well as members of the public, uh, is with the intentions um, and key definitions and requirements that are like, you know, that AB 41 uh, was passed with. When AB 41 was passed, the legislator found and declared that the acquisition of military equipment and its deployment in our communities adversely impacts the public safety and welfare, including increased risk of civilian deaths, significant risk to civil rights, civil liberties, and physical and psychological well-being, and incurment of significant financial cost. Military equipment is more frequently deployed in low-income black and brown communities, meaning the risks and impacts of police militarization are experienced most acutely in marginalized communities. The public has a right to know about any funding, acquisition, or use of military equipment by state or gov local government officials, as well as a right to participate in any government agency's decision to fund, acquire, or use such, such equipment. 
And also, they also found that decisions regarding whether and how military equipment is funded, acquired, or used should give strong consideration to the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties, and should be based on meaningful, meaningful, mind you, public input. It also found that uh, we need to have legally enforceable safeguards, including transparency, oversight, and accountability measures must be in place and to protect the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties before military equipment is funded, acquired, or used. The lack of a public forum to discuss the acquisition of military equipment jeopardizes the relationship police have with the community, which can be undermined when law enforcement is seen as an occupying force rather than a public safety service. So when those, those community conversations ended up happening last year, one of the key points of contention that community members had raised was the lack of independent oversight of, the, like, of this policy and the department itself um, in how it uses military equipment. And when that question came up during those community conversations, the department identified the city council, which by the definition of AB 481 is technically the governing body, meaning the elected body that oversees a law enforcement agency as the independent oversight. And in the policy itself, uh, the department describes, uh, designates the, uh, uh, the police department's inspections and standards unit and its professional standards unit as their oversight authorities that would refer any violations of the policy to internal affairs division and report instances of noncompliance to the council via its annual report. That was one of the concerns we raised as a commission um, last year with our letter of recommendations that specifically uh, recommended adding specific language that designates independent oversight authority to the Office of Public Safety Accountability, the Inspector General, and, this, uh, and our commission to ensure the compliance with both the policy and AB 481. That hasn't happened yet. And what, like one of the requirements that are also stated under AB 481, which they had several, uh, was that for city council, like the city council requires SPD to submit an annual report, equipment report that at minimum covers the, fo like the following issues. Or actually, let me back up real quick. The the, one of the key definitions under AB 481 of the military equipment use policy means a publicly released written document governing the use of military equipment that addresses at minimum seven requirements, including the mechanisms to ensure compliance with the military equipment use policy, including which independent persons or entities have oversight authority, and if applicable, what legally enforceable sanctions are put in place for those policy violations. So we haven't actually seen that yet. And right now, as, the, um, as General Order 410.06, which is the military equipment use policy, states, um, the policy does not clearly define what legally enforceable sanctions are in place when violations occur and only refers violations to be handled in accordance with it, uh, the department's internal investigations manual or re, uh, reference manual uh, 220.01. However, this manual do, like, does not provide a general dis disciplinary matrix or minimum baseline uh, for sustained complaints. The lack of a of formal disciplinary guidelines has actually been cited by both our commission and the California Attorney General's office, which we cited last year, uh, back in 2020, uh, specifically cited that deficiency um, in, its, uh, in, a, in a report with a bunch of other uh, recommendations. So beyond that, there are also four minimum requirements that city councils required in order to approve the policy too. 
uh, under AB 481, it determines that all of the following uh, at minimum have to be met, which is, uh, which I believe you actually stated, uh, Chair, that the military equipment is necessary because there is no reasonable alternative that can achieve the same objective of officer and civilian safety. Uh, it also states that the proposed military equipment use policy will safeguard the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties, and that if purchasing the equipment, the equipment is reasonably cost-effective compared to available alternatives that can achieve the same objective of officer and civilian safety, and that prior military equipment use complied with the military equipment use policy that was in effect at the time, or if prior uses did not comply with the accompanying military equipment use policy, corrective action has been taken to remedy non-conforming uses and ensure future compliance. So it is from this understanding, for, like for me, and I don't like, you know, I won't speak for everybody on this commission, but it's my, like, it raises significant concerns, uh, including for members of the public, that the recent decision that was made uh, at City Council uh, regarding the um, um, armored multi-terrain vehicle or the Rook um, that was approved was uh, whether it actually met the requirements under AB 481, specifically when it came to uh, requirement number one and number three. So it was mentioned during, uh, uh, during that uh, council meeting that the police department already had access to, like for example, the, like the Rook that uh, Sacramento Sheriff's Office used, which can be deployed with a phone call and which should not be at risk given the recent you know, the recent statements that the Sheriff's Department has made, as well as the 13 times since 2019 that the department called upon it and it was deployed to it. Um, additionally, the police department in its 2021 annual report um, of all the situations that uh, required the Rook's deployment, it didn't actually state of the 79 incidents that the department had cited in that annual report where armored vehicles were reported being used, it didn't really distinguish when, like, when the Rook was used or when other armored vehicles were, happened to be used. And I think that's like incredibly, it, one of the other things that really troubled me watching that conversation was how there was specific, like they were very clear to say that this would uh, guarantee officer safety, but really didn't discuss or mention how this would actually guarantee safety of civilians. While they say that it would you know, like it could take the tar, like you know, take uh, the the fire, the gunfire that may come from, like, say, a hostage situation. We like anybody that is a, like that knows firearms or has owned or shot a firearm knows that those are bullets that are driving hundreds of feet per second, and ricochets happen all the time. Unless that, ar like, unless these uh, armored vehicles are absorbing um, the the ballistics, it could easily hit members of the public outside of off, like the officers behind that shield. So I didn't hear really any arguments that made clear how this would, like, would guarantee civilian safety in line with officer safety within that. Also too, uh, when, it when it came to recommendations number three, um, the cost effectiveness compared with reasonable alternatives, as I mentioned before, they, they already had access to, uh, like, to a, a, the Rook vehicle via the Sheriff's Department and the estimated cost that they cited uh, was over $493,000 plus the additional $8,000 in maintenance per year, which totals up to about $200,000 over its 25-year lifespan. And in their report and presentation to City Council, they didn't actually include the costs that come with storage uh, of that vehicle 
or transportation, training required for its use. And they don't do that for any of the actual equipment that's listed under its armored vehicles uh, policy, or even with the, uh, 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 the unmanned aerial service uh, systems that they have, or any other uh, piece of military equipment covered under this. It's for those reasons that I think it really like, lies on us to ask, like to really think about how the department's current policy, as well as its past actions, have actually uh, aligned with the intention, um, scope, and requirements of AB 481, um, particularly when it comes to uh, the difference between officer and civilian safety. Like, for my, what I would like to know is what are the definitions, the factors, or the parameters for determining officer safety? And what are those same de definitions, factors, or parameters for determining civilian safety that the department uh, goes through when it is assessing the purchase of any uh, military piece of military equipment or vehicle cited? And how does the military equipment in this policy meet the standard for guaranteeing both of, the, both of those factors, both, both officer and civilian safety? Those are just a few things. I want to open it up. I, I know I've been talking on quite a bit. <laughs> Commissioner Bliss, we can always count on you to bring a lively discussion. <laughs> um, with that, I have Commissioner Guerrero. I was just going to say um, a question to Vice, uh, Vice Chair Bliss and then comments, but uh, many of the concerns, if I'm not mistaken, are in the letter that the Commission ended up signing, correct? Okay, great. That was my question. Um, so if we are going to engage and um, in a, uh, a round of uh, community engagement to really bring significant you know, feedback, I wonder, just listening to what Commissioner uh, Bliss explained, I think that we need to request a third party facilitator. I think we need a report of concerns uh, at the end of the uh, meeting, meetings. I think that um, we need to ensure that there is a SAC PD liaison, but not necessarily someone that, that we work with. <laughs> um, I think those are the three things, and then I think Central to those conversations, I think, need to be the, uh, the concerns that have been outlined, um, or at least as a starting point, because I, I know the work that the chair and vice chair did in terms of putting that letter together. It was a combination of discussions here, feedback from the community, work with outside stakeholders, including um, in, uh, a number of organizations. So I understand that that has significant community input is a good place to start, so I think that um, responses to some of those concerns would be a, a good place to start in those meetings. Um, so that's what I would say on, on adding this. I'm supportive of it, and if we need a motion, I'm happy to make the motion. If there is no motion needed, then, that, then that's fine. But I will then close with just one thing. Um, for folks that have been here for a bit, um, you might recall AB 392 um, uh, uh, by then Assemblymember Dr. Weber, now Secretary of State. And it was the, the position of this, the commission back then that the city was not, in fact, meeting uh, the uh, requirements of AB 392. And it took us a long time. And we finally, from my perspective, I don't know if we'll all agree, but we got a lot of what we felt was missing in the policy. And it took us a long time. Unfortunately, I think that's what we're going to have to do here. I'm in agreement from what I've heard from my colleagues, from what I understand of the bill. Um, the city is not, from my perspective, meeting its requirements. Um, and then, um, so I think this dialogue is worth having, a continued dialogue. 
And then lastly, I would maybe make a recommendation that we invite uh, the bill's author, AB481, to come and talk to us. Make sure that we share uh, the language that has uh, been adopted, the policy that's been adopted here, and ask her to give us her opinion if, I'm sorry, his or her, I don't know. It was as, as at the time Assemblymember Chu, who's now the actually Attorney General for uh, San Francisco. Got it. Um, um, if they're willing, uh, Assemblymember, we would ask uh, the, assemb the former Assemblymember <laughs> if, uh, in, is it, in his opinion, um, the policy that the city has adopted is matches um, uh, his uh, bill now and statute. I will stop there. Thank you, Madam Chair. Commissioner Bliss. And I do want to invite my colleagues on the commission, if you have a question, please, by all means, raise your, uh, raise your hand. Um, uh, couldn't agree more, especially with those recommendations when it comes to like the community input process. Um, definitely think a third party mediator moderator is appropriate as well as a report back and like transcription of like the concerns. I also think when it comes to the SPD liaison being present, Whoever is from the department needs to be showing up there just as one of the community members themselves. Uh, that means being, being there in plain clothes, you know, wearing the department's polo shirt and uh, being unarmed, most importantly, because the very presence of armed law enforcement in a public town hall discussion in a room where there are unarmed civilians in place, doesn't matter what their intentions are or if they're like, you know, what their classification is. It's like, it can be traumatizing just seeing that. And that was what, one of the things that was recognized both in those community conversations and in the legislature's uh, like, you know, uh, finding and declaration of AB 481. Um, wholeheartedly support the uh, inviting the author of AB 481 uh, to, to come in and, and present on that. And another uh, thing in terms of like, you know, when it comes to the input process, I think it would be helpful going into that um, that it be in person, that not like we can't do this uh, over Zoom um, and have it like as a structured conversation where there are just like predetermined questions that community members um, or like you know can speak to or respond to. It really has to be a question and answer, a back and forth, like that where community members get to ask their questions directly of the department as well as the city, and they get like they can get a real time response. Even if they don't have a full, like fully uh, vetted answer, or just like you know, need to get back to them, just the just the act, the effort actually is a demonstration of good faith. The effort really does matter, as well as the authenticity within the answer. And if we're just doing this as an exercise to check a box, community members are going to recognize that. They're going to be able to see that, and it's going to like, and no one's going to like actually take it seriously the way that it, like, they want it to be taken seriously. Any other commissioners? So, Commissioner Carter. Commissioner Carter. Okay, I'm not as familiar with this um, issue as Commissioner Bliss, but I did see that I'm looking through the policy, section G quoted in the policy regarding legal and procedural rules, and it consistently says that the 40 mm will only be used for official law enforcement purposes and pursuant to state and federal law, including the provisions of Penal Code Section 13652 
which is the section regarding kinetic energy projectiles, and that's the law that prohibits uh, a lot of these, uh, this, what is it, 40 mm projectile launchers and rounds and bean bags and all that other stuff. So the question that came to my mind is that the policy consistently refers to that penal code section. And the first thing I saw in the penal code section under B1 was that you prohibited from using the kinetic energy projectiles and chemical agents and you should only use it, first thing was de-escalation techniques and other alternatives of force have been attempted when reasonably objective and have failed. So I'm not, I mean, the SAC PD is quoting that they're in compliance with the main bill and that they're, they will be uh, using these kinetic energy projectiles pursuant to Penal Code Section 13652, but I really don't know what the particulars are. I don't see any guidelines, so I don't really know if they have something written in there that is only going to be used after they've de-escalated the situation, and I don't really know from their perspective what de-escalation means, because that's been another subject is like one little blurb in the use of force policy on de-escalation. De so um, there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of boilerplate language put on a piece of paper, but as far as the nuances of how it's gonna be implemented, that is yet to be seen. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a question that just jumped out at me far as all this kinetics, knowing that there's a policy saying that you really shouldn't be using them unless you've de-escalated and everything else has failed. So there's, you have no other choice but to move forward with this kind, type of action. So I, that was my observation. Commissioner Bliss. Yes, uh, I appreciate you raising that, Commissioner Carter, because that was one of the concerns that we had cited too within the letters, like the uh, in our letter from last year on the policy was how, um, while the department did remove some ambiguous language in the addition of governing and added in governing policies for each type of military equipment, it included phrases such as crowd control and circumstances where a tactical advantage can be attained uh, that are so broad that the department could authorize military equipment use for virtually any situation, even when reasonable or cost-effective alternatives may exist. Um, and when you brought up the 40 millimeter uh, launchers and the rounds that were accompanied, it, like that was one of the specific examples that we cited where the policy describes situations for the authorized use of 40 millimeter grenade launchers as stating approved situations for use of these less lethal weapon systems include self-destructive, dangerous, and, and or combative individuals, riot slash crowd control and civil unrest incidents, circumstances where a tactical advantage can be obtained, potentially vicious animals, training exercises, or approved demonstrations. And the lack of, like those, under those guidelines, essentially any crowd of four or more with even just one like, individual they deem combative, which is subject to their reasonable suspicion standard, uh, could, like, could authorize the deployment of a 40 millimeter grenade launcher, um, which is extremely problematic. 
and it was those lack of clear limitations for using military weapons and equipment, uh, which were among the most serious concerns raised by community members last year, as well as by the city council, which uh, on the January 30th uh, conversation regarding the Rook directed uh, staff, like city staff, including the department, to like create clear limits, is what I understood, uh, for that. And that's one, that was literally recommendation number two, was adding specific language to the general order, stating the limits and conditions for when military equipment can be used, and specifically cannot be used uh, in compliance with AB 48 and AB 481. And we could have had that last, like, we could have had that direction last year, but we actually didn't. Unfortunately, and that's one of the things I think that like that and that's going to be it's actually in our uh, recommendations that we'll be discussing later tonight as well and reemphasizing that need, uh, which we now have uh, apparently city council direction to uh, to include. So as you can see, this has been an issue that we've been working on for a bit. Now, let me take a step back. And I know that Commissioner Bliss has been varying the details of the, like, all of the language in the general order. And we're going to need that expertise to kind of help us um, as we move forward with our recommendations this year. But I just want to take a, a step back. I've been reflecting about this issue a lot. And originally, when I first started thinking about this, was thinking about what kind of information does the commission need? What kind of information does the city council need to ensure that when something like this comes up for a vote, they have the information in front of them that helps them kind of make the right choice. One of the things that we brought up last, last time, and I, you know, I think even more so today, is what kind of information do we want from the police department to ensure that they're included in their, in their annual report? Because at the end of the day, all of this information that we're talking about is how are they using this equipment? Where are they using it? We need demographic information. We need to have an understanding of where in our city it's being used. And maybe our fears are, are overblown. Maybe they don't use it that often. But I don't know if that's the case. I don't have enough information right now to make that determination. And in order for us to be able to have a dialogue that is thoughtful, we need data to inform that. We need that information so that if they say, this is not being used often, then we're able to see, oh, you're right, it's not. But when it's just, just kind of based on data that we don't have access to, that public doesn't have access to, it makes it really difficult to engage in a real policy discussion. And that is, at the end of the day, I think, for me, what was illustrative about the January 31st conversation, when we're talking about even cost, how do I know that? How do, does anybody here know that when we don't actually have access to those, that funding? One of the things that is alarming, and I, and I will bring this up, was when, when we were talking about, on the 31st, when they were discussing about, hey, this is not going to cost the, the city any money. This is all federal funding. I, it was the first time that I've heard about... Um, the Urban Area Security Initiative. And the reason it was alarming to me um, was because what it's supposed to fund, it's supposed to basically achieve core capabilities related to preventing, preparing for, protecting against, or responding against acts of terrorism. When I read that, that doesn't sound like community holistic involvement engagement. However, part of that funding does allow for development of whole community partnerships. So what I think it's really important for us, when we are having conversations about the type of funding sources that are being brought up, I would be kind of, I, I actually want to know what other funding sources are available, what other uses are available, and does PD ask for them? 
Because then if we're asking for them as well, then I think to me it makes it easier to have this discussion. But if the only type of federal grants we are going after is for equipment, then the question that I think we should ask is, why are you not asking for this ad additional funding that could help for more holistic programming? So those are the questions to me. I don't have the data to make that informed decision. And I think we need to ask PD to help us understand the budgeting for this. I think it is, it is really important. It is something that I think I'm hearing and being um, echoed. I had down mediator. I think it's really important that we have community engagement in person. I think it's also really important. One of the things that I kept hearing in public comment that kept coming up is some members of the public did not feel there were enough, that the times when the meetings were had were adequate enough to be you know, to basically accommodate a working schedule, which again, many people in the community are gonna be working. If I have it at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday, that's gonna be hard for people to attend. So I think what we need to think about as we are providing recommendations is making sure that one, we have places that are accessible to the community, that they are representative of different parts of the community so different voices are heard, and that we also have um, hours that the community can attend. So those are some of the things I think that are keep coming up for me. We definitely think a mediator and a facilitator. The other thing that I think was important for me to, I had a bit of an aha moment as I was hearing, it is true. The chief was talking about how, you know, she, there was a, there was a Cal OSHA report about her not keeping her employees safe, that it was dealing with um, police safety. That is, that is her mission. Her mission, part of the reason is to protect the community and her police officers. But I think what I keep hearing from the, from the community is we wanna know that we're safe. Who's, taking, who's making sure that we're safe? And in a way, we're kind of talking past each other. I think our job is this commission is to bridge that. Our job is to provide a policy that basically ensures that every member of the community, including the police officers, are part of that safety plan. And right now, we don't feel, I don't feel we have that. And so that, to me, is what we need to do. We need to come up with a thoughtful policy that says, okay, we've got all of the community input, here's what we wanna move forward, but we also need better reporting. We also think, I think the annual report needs to be representative of some of the concerns that the community has so that data can inform that. And at the end of the day, this goes back to what kind of a de-escalation you know, is being used. Because at the end of the day, we don't need all this heavy equipment if we are actually focusing on de-escalation. But that's just something you know that I think we need to go back and continue conversations. Um, so I think we need to look at funding sources. We need to understand them a little better. And we also need to just make sure that we are helping elevate and helping kind of bridge some of those gaps that exist right now. So um, just before we kind of move on, this does not have a vote. This is just a discussion item so that we can kind of inform based on this discussion, continue to kind of flesh out what the work plan is gonna do and help us inform the community kind of uh, process moving forward. Any other final thoughts or comments before we move on? Sure. Oh, sure. Commissioner, we have a couple. Commissioner, um, Commissioner Johnson. Uh, you know, I, I, well, firstly, I wanna say thank, hello and welcome. You know, this is my <laughs> first meeting here with you, but I've done a whole bunch of reading, you know, on it. And I've got a lot of experience on both sides of this issue. You know, I've, I've overseen statewide police forces as a civilian, you know, wanted to bring that kind of community sensitivity, you know, to the issue on it. Um, and and I'm, I'm currently a, the president of a couple of different uh, community associations. So I've got that as, as an endemic part of my, my nature and my heart, you know, on it. 
on the flip side to it is is the fact that you know and and madam chair you 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 just uh, addressed it a bit is that you know the role as i understand it for this commission and the role that i see this commission in is to be a bridge not not an anvil but a bridge you know through the two sides because police officers got as much right to go home and sleep as as we do you know on it and they and they're in a position where they're they're very much in danger. So when we look at the issues of whether it's equipment and as well as all the rest of the policies that go into it, you know, you've, we've got to consider the circumstance that that officers find themselves in, and a certain and and the fact that there is increasing levels of violence, as we all know, you know, too many guns on the street, too many people willing to use them, you know, on it. And so there is that element of risk that we have to be sensitive to, you know, for officers. And then the flip side of it is, again, you know, you don't necessarily need to bring a howitzer, you know, in for, for every situation that, that, that goes down in the community where you're endangering the community members even more so than you are being able to uh, arrest the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the perpetrator. So, I'm I'm a, I'm a, the type of person who is who is driven by data, you know, on it. We all got opinions, you know, on it. But at the end of the day, as that bridge, I want to understand the reality of what's happening on the streets in this in this city. And so when we you know we we can do the hyperbole over you know you know trying to take the language and and and, and cut it down to its minutia, you know, on it. When at the same time, you know, and because you can make anything fit any scenario. You know, I don't care how many, how well you write it, you know, at the end of the day, you know. On, but what really is telling is what is the statistic in terms of when did you bring it out? When did you use it? What happened when you used it? And was there, was there another alternative factually that could have achieved that same benefit but at a lesser level? You know, on it, and and so so the the difficulty you know that uh, we all find ourselves in is trying to bridge the emotion to the facts and the facts back over to the emotion and the perceptions and the needs of this community, you know, on it. So so again, you know, I I, I fully endorse the fact that the, that the the police ought to have a liaison here each and every meeting, you know, on it. I've, I've run community meetings. You're absolutely right that they should be out there in the community soliciting these I ideas and input, whether they like it or not, you know, uh, on But you need, it, the community needs to be heard, and the police need to be able to articulate a rationale for why they do what they do or how they want to go about approaching solving various circumstances. You know, on it. And at the end of the day, there's, there's going to be a mix of you're right and you're wrong, you know, you know kind of thing. And there's a, there's a middle ground, you know, somewhere. And that's where we really want to try and get to. I'm, I'm happy to, to volunteer to help on, on putting together, you know, community engagement. I'm a certified mediator, you know, on it. I'm, a cert I'm certified HR. I'm, I've done a whole bunch of things, you know, on it. So wherever I can be helpful, I'll be helpful you know, uh, to it. But again, it's, for me, it's, it's about balance as we move forward in, into these things because there, there's concerns on both sides that will have legitimacy, 
you know, on you can't dismiss one for the other. And so sometimes there there's things that absolutely need to change in policing. And I've I've been a part of that, you know, in, on the East Coast and, and on the West, you know, on it. Um, and so policies at, at the policing level can be clarified more. Some can be totally changed. Some can be discarded, you know, on it. The same thing holds true in terms of perception versus reality. You know, so some perceptions also have to go away, but those are only going to go away if, if we focus in on the facts and the data, you know, on it, of what we need to do. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner. I'm excited to hear we have a mediator in our midst. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what we need. Mm -hmm. We're going to need um, so definitely we'll be uh, reaching out to you. Okay. In fact, just so you guys know, I, I am circulating a notebook just to make sure that we have the most recent perfect. So I'm going to send an email out to the team as well. Or, um, Commissioner Guerrero. Commissioner Johnson, I wanted to uh, welcome you. Let's take the opportunity since you mentioned it. I was going to save it, save it to the end, but I wanted to welcome you. And of course, I think we uh, welcomed uh, Commissioner Carter Martinez uh, the last meeting. But um, I just want, uh, I, I, on, on what you shared, I think we all agree. And as um, I, I don't know, uh, Commissioner Carter, if you were here before me or we arrived at the same time. I think we were at the same time on the commission. And um, when I first I, I, yeah, when, when we first started. 2017, Yeah, okay. So I think we were here at the same time. So I was going to say, as one of the two oldest commissioners here, I, every time I come here, I come with hope. But every time I leave, I leave a, le a little deflated. Not always. Um, and this commission has done really good work when we're able to partner with SAC PD. There have been many times when. Uh, I think our best um, work is when SAC PD is at the table, we have good conversations, and then we move something forward. Examples of that, uh, SAC PD uh, created a um, transgender and gender nonconforming policy in terms of how folks, uh, how SAC PD uh, officers interact with our community. We um, adopted a uh, last use of force uh, for use of deadly force. So there are some things that we have done that there's a lot of pride, and we didn't all agree. But what happened in those times is we were both at the table. There was no question about being there. And so here's the problem, and I think the, and what we're facing, and it, it go, ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows, and I, I'm tired, and this is why there was the recommendation that SAC PD be required to be here. Now, why would we put a recommendation to require SAC PD to be here? because what happens? Sometimes they're here, sometimes they're not. If they're not here, we can't do what we need to do. We, we don't, they're not here to give us the information. They're not here to answer questions. And so I, I'm saying this. <laughs> we all, <laughs> hopefully we'll push together. And I hope, <laughs> I hope they will show up. I hope they will have the data. I hope they're willing to have the tough conversations. You know, we can be wrong. We've been wrong. The commission has been wrong. We've given some recommendations that they were already doing. And we're like, yes, then, you know, great. All we need to do is have the conversation. But the problem is they're not here. The problem is they're not giving us the data. The problem is when they don't have the data, they don't say, we don't have the data, but maybe we can think about getting the data. And so if our work is uh, really, the foundation of our work is data, um, working together, you know, we don't have that because they're not here and they're not providing the data. So, sorry, I'm a little frustrated again. <laughs> so I just thought I'd share that. We all, we're gonna have to stick it, stick together and, and figure those basics out. 
Commissioner Bliss. Couldn't agree more, Commissioner Guerrero, and uh, welcome as well, uh, Commissioner Johnson. I really uh, appreciate your skill set that you're bringing in as a mediator, and um, I share uh, your desire for data-driven policy approaches and really being able to examine the data. Commissioner Guerrero said it, said it very well, like we are hungry for that data. We want that data. We've been asking for it for years, and we simply just haven't gotten it. And the data that we have gotten, which has been publicly released, has shown, unfortunately, a, a documented history of racial bias and discriminatory outcomes in literally every practice that the department and procedure that the department is responsible for, which three separate studies over the last 20 years um, has confirmed dis disproportionately impact black residents in particular. And, and just to be clear, like, you know, um, it started with just examining tra like traffic enforcement, uh, you know, enforcement of traffic violations, which in 2001 and 2008 showed that the Sacramento Police Department stopped black motorists at twice the rate of other motorists. And then in the third study, which was commissioned, uh, you know, back in uh, 2020 and examined like a more comprehensive period uh, from 2014 to 2019, and it didn't just focus on traffic violations, it focused on non-traffic stops, on use of force. And in that study, which was commissioned by the department, it found that black people were subjected to force four and a half times as often as white people, which were 43% of all use of force incidents recorded between 2014 and 2019. And that was twice the national average at the time. Non-traffic stops, black pedestrians were stopped at 6.2 times as often as white pedestrians. And, and black people in Sacramento City comprised at the time just less than 14% of the, of the city's population. Um, and this took into consideration neighborhood crime rates, poverty, and share of uh, black residents explained just 46% or less than 50% generally of those frequencies. Traffic stops too, it found that 38% uh, uh, of all people stopped in just quarter, uh, quarter one 2019, or in just in 2019 were recorded as black. Like higher, like higher rates still after 20 years. That's the data that we have to work on, and that's also one of the reasons why AB481 was created in the first place, because it documented and, and recognized the disproportionate um, uses of both in, like you know these enforcement tactics as well as this military equipment in black and brown neighborhoods. And it's one of the things that we cited too and what the city council had expressed concern about last year, especially following um, the George Floyd protests um, in 2020. There were substantial, like there were uh, several allegations of misuse uh, of the military equipment uh, during that, uh, during those protest periods um, that haven't like, adequately been concluded or resolved. In fact, as far as I know, there are at least two lawsuits uh, related to the, uh, the, pro the police response of the protests um, uh, that are still being litigated. But because of that, like, I think that really makes it, like, puts the onus on the department to really, like, to really show that information. And like, I'm, I personally have been begging for that information. I am hungry for it, please. By all means, prove me wrong if I like if I am off base on on uh, how the outcomes are actually being shown. But until they are actually willing to just show up in this chamber, meet with us um, in private one-on-one -on -one meetings, we're not going to have that information. All we have to go on is the information that we can publicly access. So I'm hoping that if the department's listening, they're going to show up at our next meeting uh, and they're going to take uh, your like you know. Your request for data, my request for data, Commissioner Guerrero's, and all of our like, requests for data uh, seriously and, and come prepared to address all of our concerns. Great. 
That was that item was just for discussion. No vote is taken. Our next item for discussion is the Sacramento County's Community Review Commission. Unfortunately, they're not here today. Um, so we're moving on to our follow-up log. And originally, or traditionally, this has been part of our consent calendar, but we really thought it was important to take it out of the consent, put it as a discussion item. And I wanna make sure, um, any questions on this one? Do I have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips and no members of the public uh, on online uh, with their hands raised. Any commissioners wishing to speak on this item? Commissioner Guerrero. Yes, Madam Chair, I think that there's a couple things that we can remove from this um, chart. Um, I'm gonna put them out there. Number four on the NACOL um, conference. It just doesn't seem like, it's interesting, uh, one of the feedback that we received was that the commissioners, uh, well, some folks have said in the, in, uh, uh, that the commissioners don't have enough um, policy experience to be doing the, the uh, work that we're doing up here. And so, um, uh, you know, at the same time, there are not a whole lot of opportunities to learn here was a conference that this group had attended before it doesn't seem like the funds are there so we should probably remove it um, so that's no, item number four um, I think there was one other I think it had to do with the um, AG uh, da, 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 where is that one? oh um, oh matter uh, um, vice uh, uh, Commissioner Carter, this is item number two, presentation on RIPA report. Um, I was asking, is this something that, uh, I think it, it says in the notes that commissioners were gonna reach out to DOJ. Um, and so it has your name by it. So is that something that we're doing? Do you recall what it's about? I mean, I know what it's about, but are we? do we still need it or do we need to remove it? It's been so long ago. That request was made in September 17, 2020. So there's been no one from DOJ to report on the RIPA. Um, we, 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 in the interim, we can remove it. They put out periodically updated reports. So when the next report comes out, if it's shared with the commission, and then at that point, if we would like them to come and present, we can put it back on the to-do list. So remove it for now? For now. But since I have the floor right now, regarding number four and going to the conference, um, we may never get any money to go to the conference, but that's on the city council. But I'd like it to remain a standing request so that if by chance they have an aha moment and they decide to put aside some money so that commissioners can go to the conference, it, at least the request is there and we would not have to resurrect it. So that's my position on number four. It's been there. They didn't give us any money. The, uh, the last conference has come and gone, but the, Nicole has a conference every year. So perhaps one of these years, somebody on the Sacramento City Council 
will decide that we're worthy enough to attend the conference and put aside some money. Um, there's item number, so keep four, keep remove four. two. Yes. Um, there is also um, uh, item number nine. It says it's been re re the request to uh, presentation city manager on hiring process for SPD chief. It says the request was respectfully declined. So if it's declined, I don't know. I'm going to pass it over to Vice Chair Bliss, but it's been declined. So. Yeah, I, I definitely noted that they respectfully declined um, as far back as last year. But the thing that uh, stuck out to me was that the subject of hiring the police chief um, is not under the jurisdiction of the commission where, as I understood it, city code explicitly says that hiring practices are under our purview. And, and it doesn't designate that it doesn't include the police chief. It says that hiring practices of the department, which the police chief is almost certainly a part of. So I'm kind of confused and would love clarification from the city manager's office as to what specific part of city code uh, disqualifies the chief from being, like the chief's hire, uh, the hiring practice of the, of the police chief from being under the purview of the commission. Um, so with that, like, with that question in mind, I would actually ask that that stay on there until we get clarification on how, like, on how they, they say that that hiring practice is not under our purview. Um, in terms of, I wanted to respond to um, Commissioner Carter's um, point on the uh, RIPA report, you know, which uh, for members of the public who aren't aware is Racial Identity Profiling Act. Um, yeah, I think it would be good to request, like, you know, when that report is released for 2023 um, to do that. And I wonder, uh, maybe the, um, uh, the city attorney could clarify if we could put that request on the log when it, like, for when it is ready and available as presented. Can we, like, like can we request a presentation for a future report that's coming up? I was making notes for <laughs> what you were saying, so I apologize. What, what presentation? Oh, for um, the Racial Ide and Identity Profiling Act uh, report that would, you know, it, I believe it comes out every year, once a year. Uh, if, can we request uh, a presentation on a report that hasn't been released yet for the coming year? If, if by request you're talking about putting on, put it on the agenda or if you're saying just reaching out? Or, I, guess, I guess it is on us to technically reach out. I mean, it, it's not a huge deal. I'm just curious, like, to, to, in order to both keep it in our memories, given, like, the number of issues and, like, discussions that we're having, if we can just, like, keep it on the log and request that, like, you know, when it comes up, we are able to, like, see that we're requesting that and we can get an update from either the city or, you know, uh, Commissioner Carter or whoever is tracking that um, to make that request. I don't see what, like, it, like <clears throat> it not being helpful. I think, it, like, that's the purpose of the log, right, to keep it, like, fresh within our memory so that we can track that as, like, as a note-taking effort. That's my understanding. I don't see a legal issue with keeping it on there. Um, I don't know if the clerk's office has any comments, but uh, it's your log. If you want it to stay there, you can. Maybe we can update it to say the next report. Hmm. Sounds good mm -hmm. to me. Um, um, can I just clarify one thing? Um, Audriel, if you wouldn't mind taking um, our, I'm looking at the, the Sacramento City Code, and it's uh, two point. Mm -hmm. 110.030, powers and duties of the commission. And it's um, subdivision A. 
It reads, the commission shall advise and make recommendations to the city council regarding police policy, procedure, and best practices, including those related to community relations, hiring, and training best practices. So could, can you please um, connect with the city manager's office and make sure that we understand, because I think I'm understanding that subdivision a little differently than the city manager's office is. Yeah, I can follow up with the uh, city managers on this issue and just to make sure um, it is, sorry. Yeah, no, Which definitely. Which item on the follow-up log, so. Uh, it is item number nine. Number nine. Got it, okay, thank you. Yes, um, and this is, this is based on the, the powers and duties of the commission. Madam Chair, I'd like to go a step further on that one. Um, and uh, are we able to request a um, legal opinion on whether that is under the jurisdiction of this commission? I will receive that request if you're making it a request. Yes, I <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. And I think I, I, and the only reason I'm pushing back is um, we're just asking for a presentation on the, the practice. We're not asking, we're not doing anything. And just to remind everybody, we're just a voluntary body as we're often told. So we just wanna make sure that we understand the practices. Commissioner Bliss, I see you're on the queue twice. I don't know how that works, but hey, I'll take it. Because um, I, I was gonna also speak to some of the requests that I had asked, which one was related to a request or a presentation on uh, SPD hiring practices. Um, which we still haven't received a timeline on. That was specifically to the department. Um, and, like in relation to like, you know, the rank and file officers or whatnot. Um, I think that's still like, a, a, like that would be a worthwhile presentation to have if other commissioners are in agreement. Um, and, you know, it's in line, I think, with um, the second area of our work plan, which is like, you know, SPD accountability and, um, uh, professional standards, I believe, but yeah, um, I would like to see that uh, a response to that request and when uh, and a timeline provided so that we know when that uh, when the department can uh, reasonably provide that information to us, provide that presentation. Commissioner um, Bliss, on that item, given that it is going to be part of our part two, because remember the way yeah. we're dividing our, our work plan. So just to kind of clarify. In order for us to make sure that we're managing our time and that we're focusing the first part of the year, because we are anticipating that there's gonna be movement in July, the MEU policy and getting all of that ready, the commitment is to get it done in the first couple of months, right? Because we only meet once a month, so all of this work has to be done. The second part of the year is gonna be really focused on the second part of the work plan, and that is, um, to answer your question, I think that's where we should ask for that request from PD in that timeline. Mm -hmm. So if that's okay with you, I'm just gonna modify the timeline for you on, the, on that issue. That's totally fine with me. Thank you. Um, let me see here. The, um, also the request for the Inspector General to give a presentation on the findings uh, from the first officer-involved shooting um, uh, report that, is, that has been conducting. From, my, uh, from our conversations, the Chair and I's conversations with OPSA, that report is still um, it's still being drafted. Um, it hasn't yet finished up uh, and is still waiting on that. So I guess, um, you know, with respect to that timeline, it's something that we would like to keep on the log and maybe just get like an update on the, um, the given timeline right now, which I think I had notes on it from before, but I, um, uh, that based on the conversation that Dr. Watson had with us, but um, would just request, you know, uh, routine updates to let us know when that can be uh, reasonably expected within the next, or, or, you know, within our current work plan timeline. 
Any other additions to the log? Just one more thing then, please. Yes. So there were a number of things I wanted to touch on, but the, the last one was, um, or just to suggest that whatever we don't take off, then I really would love it if in those agenda setting meetings with the city, that every time the chair and vice chair sit down with the city, that you take this with you and ask for an update because I'm tired of looking at this list that continues to come back with no updates. <laughs> I'd appreciate it, <laughs> sorry. Totally reasonable and we definitely will, I will definitely make sure that happens. Uh, and just for other commissioners here, I was chair, so I, I, know, <laughs> I know the work that I'm putting on our chair and I'm happy to help her, but it's just, it really is, you know, we keep seeing this list over and over um, and it's just not right that it keeps coming back with not many updates, especially more recently. It's not always been the case. Again, it's kind of like feast or famine. Sometimes we're moving quickly and we're in good partnership. And right now, I don't know why, but there's not much partnership. So thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Any other final comments? Commissioner Carter. Oh, one second. I have Commissioner Bliss still, or uh, no, I'm moving to Commissioner Carter. Okay, so Commissioner Guerrero, your request for a legal opinion on item number nine, is that for specifically hiring of the chief of police or hiring in general? It, the request specifically here was a presentation, request presentation from city manager on hiring process for Sac PD chief. So my opinion request is, is the process for hiring the Sac PD chief is that under our purview? Can we request a presentation on that? Yeah, so that's what I wanted to get on the record, the clarification, because I think the issue is that the presentation we are seeking regards the chief of police and not just the run-of-the-mill hiring practice of, you know, sergeant, patrol officer, et cetera, but a managerial executive employee. So... Um, I'm curious as to, it says it was respectfully, respectfully declined. I'm curious who declined it. Uh, is it the deputy city manager that's oversight of the police department or did the city council decline it as a whole or did the mayor say something um, for it to be declined? That's my curiosity because the powers and duties of the commission which the chair read off, it definitely said hiring. So you can't have both ways, you can't be hypocritical. You can't say, oh, you can have some statistics and data and we'll give you everything you want if it's rank and file, but now that it comes to the chief of police, hands off. Especially when I think they had some members of the community on that panel. So um, all of us wasn't invited, but I think somebody, um, I, if I recall, I was, I was on okay, the chair. so I was on the, panel. the chair was there. She was part of the process. So I don't understand why the city manager or whoever can't do a presentation. Now all of a sudden it's off limits. I wasn't on the, I, I take that back, I'm sorry. I wasn't on the panel for the chief. I was on the panel for some of the other division heads that she was filling. Okay, so I guess nobody here was invited for the chief of police interview process, which begs the question. But anyway, I just want to clarify because Chair Guerrero, I mean, not Chair, uh, Commissioner Guerrero wanted a legal opinion and I just wanted City Attorney's Office to know that we're zeroing in on number nine as far as a legal opinion. 
So noted. And can I add one thing to the, the um, log before, before we move on? I think I'd like to have a better understanding of how um, the departments put together their budget. And so if we can get a presentation on how that comes together, at least at the state, a lot of the times the departments are supposed to make all of their information public, make sure that the public understands the personnel that, that they've hired, any type of augmentations, how that comes together. And I'm just kind of curious to understand how the actual annual budget for the city comes together. If I can get a presentation on that, that would be very helpful in the type of information that is required from a department as they're actually asking for additional uh, funding. Okay, Commissioner Bliss? Yes, just one more request on that, um, or not, not related to specifically to that, but um, one of the things that we had learned from um, OPSA related to the complaint activities, which we had requested presentations when it came to um, the complaint activity report. I know they couldn't be here today, or Dr. Washington couldn't be here today, um, but wanted to uh, make the request that when the quarter two um, complaint activity report comes out that we have a presentation for, that covers both quarter one and quarter two um, that's officially on the discussion calendar, not just on the consent calendar, um, so that we can you know, walk through it together and be able to ask questions. Another, um, a, another uh, requested presentation I would like to make uh, would be, um, I understand that they've been looking through, or they've been reviewing uh, search and seizures uh, like there's a, like a bit of search and seizure review that's coming from that, and I would request a presentation specifically uh, whenever their final report is ready um, on search and seizure reviews, which I think is it's due here like either by this month or next. Uh, request a presentation from OPSA regarding um, their review, their uh, and what they're found in their recommendations. All right, and that moves us on to our final item. And I'm handing this over for presentation to the vice chair. He's gonna walk us through the recommendations uh, for 2022. Just as a quick summary for everybody, um, part of our responsibility as a commission is that we move forward any recommendations for the year. So we're gonna be talking about 2022 recommendations uh, for, to, over to the city council. Um, but prior to that, we have been informed that our annual report so not just our work plan, but also the 2022 recommendations have to also be approved by PP&E before it moves forward to the city council. And that's something new, or new that is um, in place this year. So with that, Commissioner Bliss. Thank you, Chair. So last year we had, uh, we, had we actually had four um, ad hoc committees uh, related to budget transparency, um, surveillance and military equipment use, as well as uh, implementation, which uh, we have shared with the, uh, I believe we've shared the, the, with the commission, and that was more compiling all of our previous recommendations, 115 that are still um, waiting for city council um, and the department to review, um, put forward. The, uh, what we have before us today is the recommendation from the other ad hocs on budget transparency, surveillance, and military equipment use. So. Um, related to budget transparency, we uh, came up with five recommendations, one of which uh, built on the recommendations that we had made from 2021, which was creating a standalone budget transparency policy de detailing the annual budgeting process and financial accounting methods uh, uh, that are used to determine SPD's budget. 
Um, and one of these is uh, bolstering a previous recommendation, which was you know requiring the department to adopt strategic, measurable, ambitious, realistic, time-bound, uh, inclusive, and equitable goals or SMARTY goals for all current and future programs and services provided under the department's budget. And it really just goes in a little bit deeper, where we request um, that the policy should include, but not as limited, be limited to um, definitions of all budgetary terms, descriptions for job classifications, and measurements of success used by the department, uh, key performance indicators, benchmarks, and other data used by the department to determine its budgetary um, priorities, um, the contact information for the designated city liaison that works with the department to develop its annual budget, um, the procedure for submitting inquiries, complaints, or violations of its budgetary policy, as well as methods the department and practices the department uses in its financial accounting, including how it calculates budgetary growth requests and fiscal surpluses or deficits, reporting practices for its annual budget, including key dates and fiscal year timeline for when its budget is proposed, considered, and approved, and then references to all general orders, city, and state codes relevant to the uh, the department's budgetary policy procedures and practices. So this would be its own general order that lays out clearly for the public to understand how the department, like you know, how the department creates its budget, uh, the deter and like you know, like providing information on like on the terms so that the so that it is easily accessible for members of the public to understand. And this is similar to what. Um, uh, is provided another, uh, you know, city and county in particular po uh, policy or budgetary policies where um, at the county level, the Office of um, uh, Budget and Debt Management, I, I can't, I, I might be blanking on the um, official term of the type of the office. They actually do provide some explanation on the terms that the budgetary terms that are used when they calculate the overall county budget. This is what we're like, we would request this for the specifically for the department as we like as they understand it so that we can, uh, so that the public has greater transparency in how it, it's, uh, the depart police department's budget is, uh, is prepared and calculated. The second recommendation is to create um, a standalone budget transparency page and open data portal providing details of the department's fiscal budget from year to year, um, which is similar to what other cities um, have provided, um, such as you know in San Francisco and uh, Oakland police departments, um, they are, and, and especially within the Oakland Police Department, there is actual budget transparency page where they walk through key parts of the budget and like examine, you know, what their growth requests might be when it comes to those things. Because, uh, you know, from year to year, there are significant questions raised, particularly within like the last, like the, the last cycle, the fiscal year 22, 23, uh, regarding their uh, SPD's total budget related to its general fund and measure U allocations, which are very specific to this city. Uh, I don't know if there's any other city jurisdiction that uses something similar or allocates, has a special fund like Measure U, but um, it was revealed last year uh, by the city manager's office um, that the city manager's office had accounted for Measure U funds as labor offsets that subtracted from the department's total budget before conducting late, uh, before later conducting uh, a Measure U realignment to report it as part of its total budget. So in public documents that were provided by the city, the department's approved budget for fiscal year 21 or 2020 and 2021 was listed at more than $156 million. And its fiscal year 21-22 budgets, approved budget, was at over $165 million. But during last year's budget cycle, public documents listed the 20 uh, the 2020-21 actuals for the department 
as exceeding $182 million, and the 21-22 amended budget was over $211 million, because that actually accounted for the full Measure U funds. Um, so, and City Council approved the 22-23 budget at over $228 million, which represented a $46 million increase over the past two fiscal years alone. So, community trust, you know, being at the level that it currently is, um, it's really key that uh, the department is, like, you know, we're allocating discretionary funds to the department that do not serve, like, you know, how this, that they have to, the public really has to understand how the city is allocating discretionary funds to the department um, and hiding, like, you know, being unclear about that is only going to damage the trust uh, that the community already has further and make it even harder to repair. So that's why we're recommending that this be publicly listed and have its own separate page so that the public can reasonably review and understand how this budget is being calculated. The third, uh, the third such uh, recommendation that we made was that uh, a change to existing policy where we're requiring the department to publish an active personnel roster or active duty roster on an annual basis that includes the following information. Alphabetical listing of all sworn officers and civilian employees, their badge or ID numbers, their job class titles, and their organization assignment. Nothing that's personally identifiable, but as we were told uh, uh, last year and uh, the city council was told, the department, uh, each officer is now required to provide business cards upon request uh, when interacting with members of the public that has like their, their organization's like assignment and uh, I think like their general contact information. Um, but this would basically just make it so that it is a publicly available document so the pub members of the public can know who their, who their officers are, who is protecting and serving their, com their respective communities uh, with nothing that's uh, so far identifiable that they can, like you know that they can be necessarily tracked down. It's just requiring their name and their uh, badge and ID numbers that they're already required to provide. So that's recommendation number three. Recommendation number four for budget transparency is requiring the department to track and report on the vacancy rates for all budgeted positions at the end of each physical year. And vacancy rates should be presented publicly to city council during the annual budget presentation without exception. Um, including and should include, but not, not limited to, um, the total number of vacant positions by job classification, including the net change in these positions during the current fiscal year, the, the total number of vacancies opened in the current fiscal year by their reason, such as you know retirement, termination, or transfers, um, the total number of vacancies that have been unfilled for more than two fiscal years, and the total cost unspent from vacancies, including how these funds were spent over the last two fiscal years. And the reasoning behind it is really just because the department does not provide a public accounting of the total number of vacant full-time equivalent positions uh, budgeted by the department and the total cost that is left at the end of each year uh, what, like, you know, while those positions are vacant. So you know, that was something that actually came up from uh, my appointing council member, council member Valenzuela, they re uh, who requested the data about the department's vacancy rates for budgeted positions and what happens to that money when the position is unfilled, as well as data that identifies if any transfers are happening between the police department and the Department of Community Response. Um, so we're just, like, in, like, we wanted to incorporate that into the recommendations to make sure that that is actually something that everybody in the public knows and it's just a basic general practice uh, within, S like within the annual budget policy. Um, and we're requiring, you know, like we also recommend the city council require that they track this, of course. Um, and then the fifth and final budget transparency ad, um, recommendation 
was that um, creating a data transparency ordinance that requires the department to track and report all city law enforcement data, including but not limited to traffic enforcement and non-traffic uh, or pedestrian enforcement to allow for the public to easily know whom SPD stops, when, where, why, and what the outcome of that stop was. Um, and you know, the ordinance should require the creation of an open data portal that includes, but is not limited to, um, the total number of traffic stops and non-traffic stops, including the time frame, like the hour, day, and the year, code uh, and code violation for each stop, the demographics of each uh, person stopped, including their race and gender, the geographic location of each stop down, uh, and, and, uh, and then the outcome of each stop and whether a search was conducted and the reason for that search. And this came about from uh, analysis of a similar data portal that was created by the city of Baltimore, um, uh, which actually provided a public transparency portal that listed specifically for traffic enforcement stops. Um, and uh, it, was, it's previously, it was previously announced and linked, you know, um, uh, in, I believe it was last year, uh, or in 2021, but like basically at a time when the lack of a place of accountability and systemic racism and the outcomes of the police department's practices remains among the top concerns by community residents, I really think that it's necessary for the city council to compel a standard of transparency that requires the department to provide law enforcement data proactively um, in the course of its duties, not just when it is requested from public records acts or whatnot. And from my understanding from how they conduct their reports and uh, enter them into the call and dispatch data system, most of this information is already like provided within their regional management system. So it's really just a matter of having like, you know, having a data portal and computing that and putting that into there. It doesn't have any like publicly identifiable information of specific individuals or anything like that uh, as the, uh, the county of Baltimore did, but it's, it is, uh, it, it has been done. So that's one thing that we're requesting for that. And that's just for budget transparency ad hoc. Commissioner Bliss, um, I think I would like to propose a, a little bit of a, a different approach on this. Yes. And part of it is the next, we have um, two more items to go, but one of them is uh, the military equipment use ad hoc recommendations from last year. Yes. And I think that one is more relevant. No, 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 it's not that. I'm actually thinking instead of moving it forward, because we're doing that work right now, I'm wondering if it would be prudent for us to not move it forward to the council, but actually build on it and provide an updated one. Because at the end of the day, if we move this forward, um, I'm not sure when they're gonna take action on it, one. Two, if we're gonna provide in a couple of months an updated one, why not just wrap it all up in 2022, 23, 23 recommendations moving forward? So that would be my recommendation. This could be actually kind of where we, some of the work that the MEU policy has to, like some of the work that we have to do, this is kind of where we start. So just something that I wanted to kind of bring up for my fellow commissioners. Commissioner Carter. My response was to item number five on the budget, not on the Oh, okay. Military. Let's go back to, to item number five before we move on to um, the military use. Okay, so Vice Chair Bliss, your item number five, I believe SACPD has something very similar now. It's on the website. They have a ton of information, but it's not user-friendly. Um, Specifically for recommendation number five? Right, oh. um, because I have requested information 
and I believe it was when Dr. Watson first arrived. And I was pointed to the website, and they have much of the information that you were requesting, why the person was stopped, where, where they searched, et cetera. And I was trying to do something with that information, and it wasn't user-friendly. And then I did a follow-up to get the information in a different format. Long story short, they collect the information, but they weren't doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. um, I have to go back in my notes, but I recall something about they have the data, is there, they're not analyzing it, something about DOJ and waiting for DOJ to, I think it tied into the Ripper report. So, um, they definitely have the information in there. You could go to the website now and you could pull up all these stats on who was stopped and what was the code violation and all that. Mm -hmm. But um, it wasn't user-friendly. And when I tried to print out the chart, that was a problem too. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. But yeah. so they, they have something similar very on this point already. That's good, like, that is very good to know, um, and I appreciate the, back, uh, the background on that uh, request. This, that, the data portal is just part of that. Uh, it's part of a broader ordinance that we're re recommending for the city council to approve, which is that would require the department to track and report all of this data um, proactively. Um, so rather than just it being an option that the department is just generous enough to provide us with, they would actually be required to do this as part of its general course of duties. I understand, I agree. So, but I was just trying to let you know that it is there, they're collecting it, but if you or I wanted to actually try to analyze the data, we'd have a problem. Mm. <laughs> You'd have a problem printing out the page. Uh, and then, like I said, when I asked for some follow-up, I said, do you analyze this information? And the answer was no. So they're collecting it and it's just sitting there. They're not internally analyzing it. They were waiting on DOJ. I guess they forward all the information to DOJ and then they analyze it on the Ripper report, et cetera, et cetera. DOJ comes back with something. But anyway, but I agree. It would, it's good that if they're obligated to collect the information and be transparent with it versus just being optional, because if it's optional, they can just decide one day they don't want to do it anymore. Commissioner I'm wondering if, um, Vice Chair Bliss, if, if you might not want to, um, instead of using report, say analysis or analysis and report, something like that, because um, Commissioner Carter, you reminded me too about that conversation, and I think you're correct. What, the, what we were told is that it costs millions of dollars to analyze and report. That's what we were told, I know. $11 million to, I think it was 11 million specifically. <laughs> it was millions, just say, let's say millions, to analyze and report, and so instead, they give the information to the state, and the state does the Ripple report, and that's when it comes out. Um, but that the providing it online is just, they can do that, and they do that, but the analysis part, and you know, I, I don't know if that's accurate, but uh, you may wanna change that. Um, that's the first part. And then the other, on, on the second item that the chair brought up, 
Honestly, I'd rather move it. A lot of work, um, this, uh, the work on the military equipment, um, I think a lot of community input, a lot of stakeholder input. I, I think these, these recommendations are very good. Um, I think that they follow, they try to keep the city, um, uh, they're asking the city, many of them, to follow <laughs> the state law. Um, I, I, I would say, and we've been discussing them for quite some time now as well. So I'd be, I'd rather be in favor of moving them myself. I would second that. Um, appreciate that. Yes, I, I would actually too agree with um, the suggested language change of uh, analysis versus uh, report. Um, I didn't know that that part of the conversation. That's really helpful. <laughs> that is helpful context to have. And yeah, this, that's the whole intention. Is like it's not to make the department um, do the work of, of necessarily providing the report. It's really just entering the data into its computers like it's always been, and having that information be able be accessible to the public for review. Any other questions regarding uh, the budget transparency recommendations or any suggested changes? Um, before I continue, would uh, it be helpful for me to go through? I, I was going to go through the um, uh, surveillance policy recommendations as well, similar to what I was doing. If that's if everybody's comfortable with that, okay. So, for the surveillance ad hoc, um, we had examined several um, general orders related to um, the surveillance devices and, pol and policies that govern those, including things like, you know, the in-car camera, um, shot spotter flex uh, technology, the gunfire detection system, as well as the in-car camera and closed circuit television, all of those things. Um, one of the things that we didn't really get direct access to, um, or we didn't know was official policy until last month was that there was a new general order released last month um, called General Order 375.01, uh, which governs the use of facial recognition technology, which is something that came up during the public, uh, during the community conversations uh, related to the military equipment use policy last summer. Um, didn't see that information until this year, but um, because at least one of the policies, um, uh, uh, the first recommendation, uh, relates to the storage of audio and visual data on private citizens. Um, it like I felt compelled to add that into that, so I just wanted to like name that that's there. But there has not been significant review of that uh, of that specific general order because we just knew, learned about it last month. Um, so the first recommendation for the surveillance from the surveillance ad hoc was to establish clear limits on the storage of all audio and video recordings or other bulk data collected from private citizens through all surveillance technology or programs to no, limit them to no more than two years. Because since its inception, Sacramento residents, like, you know, um, or Sacramento residents and community members across the country have raised significant concerns about the transparency and effectiveness of warrantless surveillance and bulk data collection by government entities and private corporations. And the current policy uh, the SPD is operating under uh, allows it to retain all audio and re uh, recording and related information for vast periods of time, as much as seven years for things like um, the in-car camera or whatnot. Um, and these periods, that, that period alone of, uh, far exceeds any standard period for investigation into violent crimes. Um, and it also, in many instances, restricts the public release of information to a single individual, um, the captain of the office of the chief, uh, without any meaningful 
oversight from like, that the public can discern from. So the longer such bulk data is retained by the department, the higher the likelihood for misuse or misconduct that violates the privacy rights enjoyed by Sacramento residents, which is why um, like we made this recommendation to actually specifically limit um, the storage of all, uh, of all audio and video recordings. Um, so that, the, like, you know, amending the general orders related to that surveillance technology across all of these general orders um, so that it is no more than two years. Um, and, you know, we're willing, we're willing to consider, I, I, I'll speak for myself, like I'm willing to consider objective data and information from the department should they choose to make it available to us. But at this time, we haven't seen anything that would indicate that, you know, that they need these long periods of data storage um, uh, that exceed, you know, seven, like up to, like go up to as far as seven years. Um, and because we no longer, like the department isn't providing a liaison to us, we can't really answer that in public questions or we couldn't answer it right now. But that's one of the recommendations that uh, our ad hoc produced. Um, the second recommendation concerned the um, uh, in-car camera policy where uh, we're, we're recommending amending uh, general order 52, uh, 525.03 um, related to the NCAR camera to require officers to activate it, the system, as soon as investigative purposes are self-initiated, including but not limited to when an officer is following a suspicious vehicle or subject before uh, light control is activated. Um, and then immediately upon manual or automatic activation of the ICC system, the officer should audibly state their name, badge number, and the factors for initiating an investigation or vehicle pursuit so that it is in the, like, it is in the department's record and is able to be uh, assessed you know, during an investigation. As it exists right now, the in-car camera system does not capture the moment an officer decides to initiate a pretextual stop or, an invest or a self-initiated investigation. And current policy does not require the de uh, department personnel to state their justifications or certain factors for self-initiating such investigations for the audio record. Um, so those were like, you know, the moments before uh, that precede an officer's action to initiate an investigation or stop a person uh, can often be the most important to understanding the, the pretext and justifications which led to their action in the first place. So one of the, like, that's why it's really important, like uh, under the current system, uh, the department's ICC system has four automatic activation triggers. When emergency lights are activated, um, when the GPS speed reaches 90 miles per hour, when a collision is detected, and a fourth activator that is redacted from the official policy for some reason, which I would request clarification actually is like, why is that particular activator um, uh, redacted? And, or, you know, if they can reveal that like either privately to us uh, to let us know, that'd be fantastic. But the IC system is also manually activated, but only requires an officer to activate it as soon as practical, uh, which is language that's very broad um, when making a field contact or self-initiated investigation is, and is ambiguous enough uh, that, doesn't that it doesn't allow, require the officer to state for the audio or video record their justifications or suspicions for initiating that. That's the reasoning for um, recommendation number two. So recommendation number three um, bolsters a uh, recommendation that was made in a prior, um, uh, in, in you know prior years from this commission, which is to establish a zero tolerance policy for the offenses um, below, related specifically to um, the ICC system. Which, um, so, like, it, it, there is some repeating, such as the improper use of communications database, but specifically uh, specifies the 
tampering with or modifying the ICC system or any unauthorized destruction of original recordings or copies thereof made for court or other review purposes. Um, any complaints alleging misuse of surveillance technology should require an immediate investigation by OPSA uh, to be conducted simultaneously with any internal affairs department investigation. Um, simply, you know, we've cited a lot, like, we have long cited a lack of progressive disciplinary matrix uh, for holding SPD personnel accountable in prior recommendations, and it's been corroborated by the Attorney General's office, as discussed earlier. Um, so we understand that the department's claims some of these recommendations are already in practice, we, and we welcome them to show that to us, uh, it, like, in its policy, but we're going, like, but nonetheless, we wanted to recommend that the department explicitly incorporate these items into its general orders to ensure the department maintains integrity um, uh, among its personnel and for the public to see how the public department holds its officers accountable uh, to those standards. Um, the fourth recommendation was to maintain original recordings produced by the ICC system or copies made for court or other review purposes be maintained for a, spe a specified period that is more than or equal to the data storage period for audio and visual recordings of private citizens. Um, so what uh, original recordings and copies that are made for court or other review purposes would be required to be preserved uh, until all proceedings, including the appeals process, are officially closed. The policy should also state that original recordings and copies made are the property of the city of Sacramento that is maintained by the department, where right now it's currently listed as it is the property of the Sacramento Police Department. This is city property is what, like, you know, it being that it is a, a public agency, like, you know, incorporated by the city, it should be, uh, like, stated as property of the city. Um, I'm actually seeing that there's a, a bit of a, like an error when it comes to some of the uh, uh, some of the rationale, which I can easily update. But um, the reason really is that uh, there is specific uh, limitations on how long the department can keep things that are relevant to its personnel under its like official recordings, which were like which I noted under the um, NCAR camera policy that don't make real like don't really make sense if they're uh, keeping private citizens. Uh, information, you know, of audio and video storage as long as seven years. Um, I believe the general order policy stated, like, it, like they have to destroy it within a specific, specified period, I think of about, like, uh, like 18 months or something like that. All we're, like, all this policy is saying it didn't provide a specific uh, period to hold it. It said that it had to be equal to the period that they hold uh, or, or more than, more than or equal to the data storage period for audio and visual recordings of private citizens. So basically just to bring, like, to bring equality to that. The fifth recommendation uh, concern, uh, the fifth and sixth recommendations actually concerned uh, specifically the gunfire detection system, also known as ShotSpotter Flex. Um, because as it stands right now, ShotSpotter incident reports are not published consistently or in a way that is easily accessible for the public to review. So we're, re uh, we're recommending the general order which governs ShotSpotter Flex 510.05 uh, be amended so that it requires uh, the department to publicly disclose ShotSpotter Flex incident reports on a quarterly basis, uh, where those reports would be compiled using comparative reporting and demographic reporting to be shared directly with, the, uh, with OPSA, the commission, and made publicly available via their transparency page on the city's website. Um, you know, and we provide some like general parameters of information that it should include without being limited to data on the geographical locations um, where gunfire is detected, the total number of shooting incidents documented in each period, um, the total number of, sh uh, 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 including the number of shooters and shots fired, 
the number of patrol units that respond to each gunfire incident, the, the number of actual shootings identified from ShotSpotter Flex detection, the number of open and closed investigations for each period, and the number of arrests made from ShotSpotter Flex detections, including demographics such as race, age, and sex. The reason being, you know, because there is obviously consistent community concern of over-policing in black or Hispanic neighborhoods, which at least three separate studies that we mentioned earlier have concluded uh, is prominent among the department. Um, and as we understand it, as has been publicly stated, ShotSpotter is currently deployed in three geographic areas where neighborhood populations are predominantly black and or Hispanic. Um, and while the department has previously argued that high rates, higher rates of gun violence and crime in these neighborhoods necessitates an increased police presence, um, and that includes this surveillance technology, none of the data presented that I've reviewed and the commit, like in the ad hoc reviewed by the department has demonstrated the success of ShotSpotter to prevent gun-related crimes or at least reduce their rates within those neighborhoods. In fact, I, I, there are instances where it, the information, like in the next recommendation, which calls for explicitly the termination of SP's contract with um, SST Incorporated that to use its ShotSpotter Flex technology, specifically because the cost uh, since 2015, uh, the city council first agreed to, you know, has increased exponentially. Uh, when it was first approved in 2015, um, the, uh, for a single deployment of ShotSpotter Flex system, uh, for a single year, it, kept, it was at a cost of no up to $150, no, not to exceed $150,000. As of December 2022, the City Council has amended and extended this agreement to deploy in three geographic locations through June 14, 2025, at a cost of up to $4.3 million. And since its exception, like Spotter Flex has been frequently criticized by law enforcement experts, criminal justice researchers, and community members alike for both its inaccurate detections and inefficient outcomes, which has primarily served to increase harmful police interactions in targeted neighborhoods with mostly black and or Hispanic residents. Um, and several studies that are in Chicago, in fact, uh, nearly 90% or 88.7% of police responses to shot spotter alerts found no incidents involving a gun. And according to the most recent staff report from July 2022, uh, when the city applied for a grant um, to fill an unfunded portion of its current cost for the system, for the three systems that it uses, the shot spotter system costs the city of Sacramento, an annual of $509,000 uh, that's only partially funded uh, by an annual allocation of $314,000 exceeding that in multi-year operating project resources. That leaves like on annual basis between the three systems about $195,000 funding gap that requires asset forfeiture resources and grant funding to maintain, such as this report that I saw uh, from July 2022. When we added the average grant funding to maintain, uh, when we added the average personnel cost of 12 full-time equivalent police officers uh, positions, which are currently allocated for just responding to this system, um, which the 2021 average, according to Transparent California, uh, the average pay for um, those positions are at 95,000, over $95,000 or uh, just for regular pay and over $200,000 in total pay and benefits, according to that. Um, so, the annual, like the annual cost for just the, the full-time equivalent uh, allocations uh, by our calculations, which 
welcome to be proven wrong and, and you know, see data that like would verify that we're wrong on that um, would appear to exceed over 2.9 million just for the personnel uh, for, or for the annual cost of using the system um, with that per added personnel. And considering the three year projected cost for maintaining three shot spotter systems at uh, of $1.5 million, 585,000 of which is unfunded, uh, the, it would like, you know, the cost, the projected average cost for SPD with SPD personnel combined with that would put the city, well, the city could expect to pay at least $8 million, no, like if not more than, uh, for the full use of the shot spotter system over the duration of its contract agreement. So how did this cost, like, how much did this end up costing? Like, you know, what are we getting? Like, th that lead to, uh, led us to the question of, like, what was accomplished from this system given this cost? Based on 6,737 shot spotter activations or alerts reported by the department from June 2020, 2015 to May 2022, 73% uh, resulted in no reports. And from the reports that, direct, that were directly attributed to ShotSpotter, which were quite hard to find based on the firearms incident reports versus the ShotSpotter reports uh, that I found through just public records, um, SPD, um, uh, only 4% resulted in arrests and 8%, 8.5% uh, to be exact, resulted in firearms being seized. Um, and according to the department's grant application for July 2022, um, the, the department reported seizing 67 firearms and making 58 arrests over a three-year average between 2019, January 2019 and May 2022. And by this measurement, the resulting efficiency of ShotSpotter in Sacramento during this period could be measured at an average cost of about $22,818 per firearm seized or over $26,000 per arrest, not including the cost of personnel times and salaries. So after seven years of deployment, the data we reviewed like really begs the question of how might the city invest its resources in meaningfully addressing the underlying causes that might prevent gun violence and crime compared with the estimated cost it has in responding to it after it happens. So given that the city's predicted a budgetary shortfall through fiscal year 26, 27, uh, and measured with ShotSpotter's current costs and rate of effectiveness, that's where this recommendation came from to actually terminate the contract um, or at minimum allow it to expire um, at the uh, expiration date of June 2025. That, conclude, uh, is there, that concludes my report on the surveillance ad hoc recommendations. Any questions? Commissioner Guerrero. Just wanted to ask if you can um, add the links to the reports or at least the names of the reports into um, this Excel sheet because I think when we transfer this over to, mm. well, for the purposes of, of commissioners, I think it's important that we, you know, get to review the sources. But I think that um, probably, well, say more important because they end up making the decision since we're just advisory. But um, I want to make sure that we, whatever we transfer over to the city council members, they have the data uh, available at their hands that they can verify and read on their own so that they can see that we're, doing our due diligence and, and that's you know part of why we adopted this new format to make sure that they have access to all of the items that we um, took into consideration. So yeah, links in particular or the names of the report would be really helpful, I think. Agreed, and I actually did provide the links, or not the links, but the names of each report as well as their file ID numbers that we had reviewed um, as long, along with the year that they were issued. So the, uh, if you scroll down under the rationale, 
um, you'll see the sources that are linked there, which include grant applications from fiscal year 22, um, well through the, um, agree like the initial agreement for the gunfire detection system back in uh, May 17, 2016. And there were additional firearm incident reports that listed just aggregate firearms seized, and that included some shot spotter data in there, but it wasn't specific to shot spotter. So we only included the source information that were specific to shot spotter, which each of those were, like were, had those reports listed under. That's how I was able, like that's how we were able to like calculate that basically. But I think, what, if if possible, if we can add the links to the, the reports. That would be really helpful because, again, as, as we pass this information on to the council, um, making sure that they have access to that information as well. Okay. So in interest of time, and I, I know we still have public comment that I want to make sure that we get to. In interest of time, as a reminder, the MEU recommendation. So one of the things that we're trying to do is kind of organize ourselves a little differently. In the past, we've provided different, have had different um, formats that we've used. Moving forward, anytime we move recommendations to the city council, this is the Excel spreadsheet that we're gonna be using. So one of the things, we have discussed the MOU recommendations. We went through the, through the general order. Um, we are moving it forward, but I'm just gonna also say one of the things that I'm, I'm gonna propose for um, another agenda item, not for, this, not for this meeting, but for the next one, I'm actually gonna loop basically clumped together um, on our follow-up log, we have two items that I think actually are gonna, should be part of this one conversation, which is request to have presentation on MEU and any potential policy changes. And we're also looking at the training requirements for grenade launchers and the use by the department. And the reason I'm bringing that up and saying we're gonna clump uh, the rest of this information into one is where we ended up we provided this, uh, these recommendations to the city council and to, and to PD. Some of them were not taken. Most of them were not taken. And so we know that the general order as it stands does not reflect the changes that we asked for. So moving forward, I think this is, given that we've already done some of this work, I just wanna make sure that we're building off of it. But in addition to that, I think we are, um, we're at a point now when we're gonna have them hopefully give us a presentation about any potential changes that they're envisioning for their new, um, the re-up of the policy. So what I'd like to do in interest of time is to basically move us forward, move, move these recommendations as they are. But then for the April agenda, I want us to go into more detail onto the MEU. And I'm gonna ask for a presentation from PD to make sure that we have a better understanding of any upcoming changes that are gonna happen. And one of the reasons that we've been asking for the training is when it comes to military equipment, a lot of the times the equipment training and the training that are required for military personnel to operate that, it's unclear to me if it's the same type of training that our police officers are actually um, being provided. So, there's, so now we're starting to kind of get into are kind of the work that we need to do. Um, so if everyone is comfortable with that approach, any questions on, on the first two items? Commissioner Carter. Okay, I'm back on item number one, surveillance ad hoc committee. Okay. Vice Chair, just for clarification, you said other bulk data collected from private citizens. Basically, you're saying the surveillance and the private citizens are being targeted, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so um, 
my two cents is you might want to change collected from private citizens to targeting. So it would read, establish clear limits on the storage of all audio and video recordings or other bulk data targeting private citizens through all surveillance technology or programs to no more than two years. Because we're not talking about private citizens with their uh, video cameras at the house and sometimes the police go and get the data from them, you know, crime committed in the neighborhood, and then they go rally up the homeowners and say, do you have any video equipment? Can we see your cameras? You're talking about SACPD targeting surveillance of people on the street or whatever. Yep. Right. Okay. I would support that. All right. So, um, and then you mentioned... You mentioned keeping the data a certain amount of time, and you mentioned something in regard to peace officer records, and they keep them for a shorter period of time. Okay, so I don't know if you looked at the Peace Officer Bill of Rights, but I know what, and I don't know exactly what you was flushing out here. You, you um, talked about reasons for the surveillance or the stop or whatever, but I do know that from a personnel standpoint that in adverse actions, uh, they keep it for three years. In, in general, most government entities, if you want to discipline a peace officer for whatever, and they have, quote, unquote, like a prior, you, it's good for three years. So after three years, they can't reach back and add that on into the, the accusation or the adverse action. Mm. So, and then there's other rules regarding how long you could keep something in the file. And I don't know if you was referring to that. You know, you mentioned 18 months or something, but. So uh, I'm uh, bringing up the general order 525.03. Uh, uh, this section is specifically referred to section H, um, which reg regarded the ICC uh, recording archives, which states that original recordings produced by the ICC system must be maintained for a period of 18 months from the date they were created. Original recordings that are evidence in criminal case, administrative investigation, any claim or any litigation shall be preserved until the matter is resolved. And original recordings produced by the ICC system and any copies made are the property of the department and may not be used for any personnel um, or commercial purposes. Copies made for court review purposes shall be securely destroyed as soon as practical. Once the return copy uh, uh, of the DVD shall be restored, or uh, once returned, the copy DVD shall be destroyed if it is not needed for further recordings. Okay, so you want that to be how long? I was I was saying equivalent to the uh, rec or the same rate that they're storing uh, in, uh, data that is targeting private citizens. So like it's tied together is what I initially like what we were initially thinking on. Does that make sense? Oh, you lost me. Okay. It was basically meant to like, uh, to, to basically ensure that that information, which, you know, it says preserved until the matter is resolved. It doesn't explicitly state like, you know, for, um, uh, for like the appeals process in particular, which is something that could be of concern, you know, if say like it, like after the, uh, the lower court, um, concludes the, the investigation, then the department can then destroy the evidence and upon appeal, that evidence no longer exists, you know, to like be able to assess in a higher court. Like that was the reason that um, we had, like we were thinking of to make sure that that is put in, like, you know, that, that is specific 
um, that it like you know for the full complete court process and appeals process, um, as well as just tying it so that like the data on private citizens is being treated like, equivalently with the level of care and, and storage as the department itself. Okay, I see. I got it. Uh, and I'm open to any like suggest additional changes or revisions. I also noticed that on the last page of that rec of the last page at uh, recommendation number six, it's cut off. The very, very last one at the rationale and support, it seems like there's um, something cut off. It says considering the three. Wait a minute. Which one are you talking about? This is for the um, surveillance one. Recommendation number six, the rationale support at the very, very end. It seems like it, uh, there was additional information, it seems like. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, it does, yeah, it didn't uh, include the full list, which was quite long, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I, I can make sure, like, it's in the um, original spreadsheet, which I share with, every, with all of the commissioners. So you should be able to review it there. But, yeah, for whatever reason, I guess it is cut off. Um, I'm not sure why it was cut off for like for that one and not the rest of them. Oh, actually, it was cut off at two for um, uh, recommendation number one. So maybe there's just a limit on the PDF linkage. Maybe that's what it is. So Commissioner um, Bliss, so we're moving forward with them, but it sounds like we wanted to make a quick change for the budget transparency. Um, we're changing it to from report to analysis. Is that correct, Commissioner Carter? Uh, yes. Okay. So number five, we're changing. We're ma at making that change. Um, for, and then we're also just throughout wherever you have reports or data, um, we're going to make sure that we link to them so that the council can actually see those reports. And then just making sure that when we move um, the item forward, that any of the formatting is addressed, and just to make sure that it's all there. Uh, say that for me one more time, uh, Chair. Just before anything moves forward to PPNE, that we make sure that the formatting and anything that seems to be cut off is, is still there. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Okay. And with that, do I have a motion? So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Great. Thank you so much, Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner. Great. And thank you. Thank you. By the way. Um, Commissioner Bliss kind of spent a lot of hours putting all this together and formatting it in the right way. So really appreciate the work. Great. So with that, um, we are now moving to our, um, oh, do we have any public comments on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips for those in chambers and I have one hand raised online to make comments. Uh, Mr. Boyd, I'm gonna allow you to speak now. Thank you and good evening. Um, I did have my hand up prior to um, the motion be, being called for, but uh, no harm, no foul. It's a moot point, but I would just like to point out, I may have missed it when um, Commissioner um, um, Mario was uh, asking in regards to time frame, how long did Commissioner Bliss want to have um, keeping the information in regards to public citizens being surveilled, the duration of 
the police officer. What I also heard was as long as the investigation takes to that, you would, would my opinion, you would be better suited to put a um, definitive into it because an open investigation could go on for a lifetime dependent upon what the case is and if uh, SAC PD actually wants to close the case or remain, uh, keep it open. So evidence can't be given out to those who may go after SAC PD in a punitive uh, lawsuit. So just offering my two cents on that. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Boyd, for, for staying with us. Okay, um, thank you. Now moving on to uh, commission staff report. Is there a Chair. staff presentation? Chair, we'll need a vote on the last item. Just making sure, okay, thank you. Well, <laughs> speak really quick. Um, this might be directed to either Audriel or uh, Commissioner Carter around like, uh, given your Ex, your legal expertise, like what is the reasonable, what, is, what would be a reasonable time frame to like require like, you know, the, the keeping of copies of say like, you know, the data storage of, of the ICC system for like during the course of like a, a full court process, you know, from, from the lower court to the appeals process. If that is something that needs like needs deeper consideration, I'd be open to uh, withdrawing that particular one for further consideration that we can approve later on, but I wanna make sure before we, we go through that based upon the public comment. So to make, are we removing this particular recommendation from moving forward so we can kind of have a time frame? So that would be removing um, recommendation number four um, concerning uh, General Order 525.03, Section H. Wait a minute. If we remove it, then you got to agendize this all over again and start from scratch? Well, that specific one, potentially, but to be honest, given that we are still waiting for 115 other recommendations, you know, we could just approve it and then amend it later on uh, based upon further analysis and discussion. So I'd be open to doing it that way too if, you, if everybody is cool, with, is, is good with that. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. okay. I, I would, you could also. Madam Chair, oh, yeah, with, with all due respect to the, to the public comment, that's, that's more the exception than the rule, mm -hmm. you know, or that I'm, I'm comfortable with letting it go as is in terms of it, it, the information goes away when the case goes away and it's finally adjudicated. You know, 98% probably of, of all of your cases are going to get done. It's only, you're only going to have a very few that are going to keep hanging out there forever, <laughs> you know. I was going to add, you could also, um, when you present uh, this report to PP&E, you could also recommend that direction be given back to you to suss out that issue before moving it forward to council. So you're still on your track. Okay. Then, uh, I, yeah, then let's uh, approve it as is. Okay. So then I don't think there's going to be a change to the motion. Motion is to move. We have a second. Clerk, now can you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. <clears throat> Commissioner Carter? Aye. Commissioner Carter Martinez? Aye. 
Commissioner Guerrero? Aye. Commissioner Johnson? Aye. Commissioner Marion is absent. Commissioner Espinoza Salazar? Vice Chair Bliss? Yes. And Chair Castillo Krings? I'm thinking about it. No, yes. Thank you. The motion passes. Great. Um, now we are moving to Commissioner comments, ideas, and questions. Um, but just one of the things that I like to just um, moving forward, can we go ahead and move the public comments to the beginning of the agenda just to make sure that the public can kind of give us their ideas first? Public comments matters not of the agenda. Move it to the front. So um, going back to commissioners' comments, ideas, and questions. Commissioner Guerrero. I have a, a question for you, Madam Chair, and then a, um, a request. First, the question um, you made mention during the adoption of these uh, recommendations that the City Council has arrived at a process. Has that process been formally adopted, and is that in print somewhere where we can take a look at it? Good question. So we have um, the City and I'm gonna look at Adria, I'll make sure that I have it right, is the City Council rules and procedures. There's a document that is there. There, It outlines that there is a format, any type of annual report that has to move forward, whether it be our end of the year recommendations or anything moving forward that is like in the future has to be an annual report. The format is gonna be dictated by the clerk's office. I think they're still working out the details of that format um, and what, like how that's gonna move forward. But um, Adriel, I'm looking at you and see if there's anything else we should add. Yes, the overview is, um, it's an overview of the process, but it's in um, chapter 17 of City Council Rules of Procedure, subsection C. And as I understand it, part of the reason that uh, the mayor has also explained the reason that they are hoping to have a more formalized process is so that there is actual council action and PPNE action to make sure that, you know, especially for our commission, when we move forward, there's accountability on both ends. So Madam Chair, if I may, what you're saying, if I, just so I understand it, um, the city council was pointing towards existing um, rules of procedure, but they're considering modifying that, those rules of procedure for the purposes of clarifying the process uh, to take up our recommendations in the future, is that correct? Not, no, the recommendations are separate. Recommendations are separate. And I think we're still working through that process with the mayor's office on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. And then the other, um, I wanted to add something to our log. I should have added it before, but since this is another place, um, I was given a an article by one of the uh, members that I um, work with on in a community group. And um, they gave me this interesting article um, that cites the Brady United Against Gun Violence. Uh, they provided a report um, that shows that 90, at least 90 California law enforcement agencies across the state are contracting with gun dealers that have been cited for violating federal gun laws, sometimes repeatedly. And they also find that 5% of the dealers are responsible for selling 90% of the guns used in crimes. Um, and so their recommendation, which I think is a very reasonable one, um, is that, that gun dealers are thoroughly vetted um, uh, 
before a local police department uh, uses them to purchase all of their um, weapons, um, all the guns. So I, I wanted to ask SAC PD, add to our log, a question to SAC PD, if they vet uh, their, um, their uh, I don't wanna use the term dealer, <laughs> their vendor, <laughs> their vendor, uh, where they purchase all their equipment, all their uh, police equipment, if they vet them for breaking um, federal and state laws, and if so, if if they have found that their vendor does not, which is great, and if they do, <laughs> that they stop that. <laughs> so, well, that they let us know so that we can recommend that they stop that. I don't know. So um, that <laughs> that is the record. For the log, a question for the SAC PD through the log, I guess. Huh. Can you share the? Can you just share the? Uh, send us an email and share the article. That's sure. great. Thank you. Um, and make sure that um, please make sure that Mindy copy is involved so that hopefully we can add it to the to the documents that are going to be um, on the website. That'd be fantastic. Okay, we have uh, Commissioner Bliss, Vice Chair. All right, um, that actually raises a question when it comes to the follow-up log. Now that uh, the clerk's office is um, technically staffing the commission, is it um, the chair's, the chair and vice chair's responsibility to update the follow-up log, or does the city clerk do that automatically based uh, with the current spreadsheet that we're using? I can follow up the city clerk to find out what the process is going to be, because I'm not sure myself. But then, uh, I, I want to make sure that, the, uh, that everything that we requested is captured, but I want to make sure too, because it seems like we're now, being that we're technically now required to actually write our own staff reports, um, uh, it's want to make sure that the, we also uh, aren't necessarily being required for the follow-up log, or if we are, that we know that. So it's definitely it documented through video, and um, but I will definitely <clears throat> find out how it's going to be added and get back to you. Appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to make a comment that raises uh, several questions, actually based upon um, our, our this past week's discussion around Rule 17C, and I wanted to like just make sure that it's in the public record for the commissioner, for my fellow commissioners to understand. So. When the chair and I began developing our 2023 work plan with the mayor's office back in November 2022, we, we didn't really get clear, uh, clear direction from either uh, from anybody at the city, uh, including the city clerk or city attorney's office, that our work plan was considered or intended to be part of Rule 17C's required annual report, which is you know, that format being established under the, like, by the city clerk. Um, uh, much less that anybody inform us that it would be it would need approval from the PMPE committee before we could agendize topics related to our work policies, such as the military equipment use discussion that we had earlier this evening. Um, in fact, when we raised concerns about how this work plan would be implemented, we were assured it would be it would not be bind, a binding policy, but act into a memorandum of understanding that would guide our proposed projects and create a timeline for the city to anticipate inquiries related to our work. Uh, most importantly, we were told its approval would not prevent us from beginning our work for the year ahead. But based upon that conversation, which 
fortunately, we were able to resolve for this, for this meeting, which I really appreciate the city attorney's office, particularly Audriel, for helping us navigate the, the, uh, that confusion. Um, but the implications really like, raise significant concern for me that our 2023 work plan is akin to a binding policy and that the commission cannot begin our annual work without the PMPE committee's direct approval. Um, and being that, you know, item four was just a discussion item, not an action item uh, in response to, you know, the, the community conversation regarding SPD's policy of, around the military equipment use. Um, and that occurred before our work plan was approved. Um, but as I review Rule 17C, I don't see any specific language that explicitly prohibits our commission from agendizing discussion topics related to our proposed uh, projects, priorities, and recommendations for 2023. Um, uh, if, if that were the case, you know, technically we wouldn't have been able to agendize the ACLU presentation last month because it discussed part of the, our first priority, which uh, concerned the use of force. Um, Furthermore, like my review of uh, Rule 17C's two, section, uh, section 2 line B states that our annual report must be provided in the format established by the city clerk and should include accomplishments and highlights from the prior year's work, um, which I interpreted as meaning our 2022 recommendations, basically. So given that we only just approved our 2022 recommendations tonight uh, and that we're supposed to include in the report, there was concern that we, like, you know, and we don't know exa the exact format, or we didn't know at the time, the exact format, the established format the city clerk required uh, for them or the work plan. Um, it's raised significant questions around, like, you know, uh, deep concerns for me around our ability to fulfill our purpose uh, under the city code. Um, because, like, you know, first, so I want to add these questions in specifically for the record that I, um, I know, Adriel, you had responded to and said you would get back with, a, like, a more comprehensive response. If you have one tonight, fantastic. If not, you know, I hope you can get, uh, get one to us as soon as you can. First question, does the current interpretation of the council's rules of procedures effectively prohibit the Community Police Review Commission from holding any public discussions concerning um, the military equipment use policy until our work plan is approved, or just any policy related to SPD until our annual work plan is approved? In the format of the of our work, is the format of our work plan aligned with the established format of the city clerk's office? And if not, what is the established format and or when will it be ready? Because um, we were told, you know, basically that the clerk's office is okay with this current format, but is that gonna be the case year to year? So we wanna make sure that we're clear on that so that we can anticipate it and be prepared coming into 2024. Um, my third question is, you know, when it comes to the general timeline, what is the timeline for PMPE committee to discuss and approve our work plans? And if the committee delays its approval by like, you know, a month, like a month or if they reject our work, if they reject our work plan, what specific projects or topics may the commission actually agendize or work on related to SPD policies, practices, or procedures until they do? I ask these questions because these are going to be these are going to come up again going forward unless the council's rules or procedures are changed. But I was really taken aback by um, the level of pushback that we got just trying to agendize a conversation that is directly under our purview, which is the military equipment use policy. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, just, just to kind of clarify a little bit about the process though. Part of the issue right now is we don't have the ability to do ad hocs. We're starting a new process with PP&E and it was something that I think the mayor's office, they stepped in, they helped us kind of resolve this issue and they made it clear that they, they did not want our work to be stopped, which is one of the reasons we were able to agendize the MEU policy. I think moving forward, they are telling us that some of these 
um, some of the confusion that it was caused earlier is going to be worked out because they're working through the process. The council rules and procedures was just amended. Correct me if I'm wrong, Adriel. It was correct. It was amended to actually at the PP&E process, and, and that was one of the things that this, they're still working through it. Um, that was also the question that I asked the clerk's office as to when we could have a the format. They're working on it, so that's one of the reasons they're allowing us to move the work plan as it is. It is scheduled for the 321st, and I think we're going to continue to work with Adriel and the mayor's office to ensure that we don't have any issues. But it is it, it is something for us to keep an eye out and watch. And uh, just to respond to Commissioner Bliss, I will provide a memo for the commission regarding all the issues that you just mentioned. <clears throat> really appreciate Audre that, Audriel. Um, yeah, I mean, I realize it's a new process and it's gonna take time for us to like really get into the full swing of things and, and clarify it. I also recognize too that, you know, in spite of people's best intentions and the claims that come on policy, like until it is formally written and included in it, Claiming something doesn't actually make it policy. So I really hope that this is like very, like very clear within writing. That's why I ask these questions and make sure that we're getting like getting written responses into that. Um, it's the same thing that we're like you know why it's really important like when we're hearing from the department you know saying that they're implementing uh, key portions of, of our policy and claiming things like you know um, like they're not going to use a certain armored vehicle um, for uh, you know in response to protests or homeless encampment sweeps. Um, it's really important that that is actually put in explicit writing so that people, so that we as a body and that the public can go back and review that and see, yes, it explicitly states that. So wanted to state that and thank you again, um, city attorney for uh, continuing to work with us on this. My pleasure. Commissioner Carter. Piggybacking on Vice Chair Bliss, I thought with this change that we could no longer operate in ad hoc that this new personnel group, PEP, whatever it is, that they, we had to have them bless everything. So is that, was I understanding that correctly? My understanding was we couldn't do ad hocs that whatever we do, the work plan, whatever, the topics that we're going to work on all year, that we had to present it to them, and then they would tell us, yay or nay, whether we can talk about or research that subject for the whole year. So we have, you know, they've basically taken all the control out of the commission, and everything we do has to be blessed by them. That was my interpretation of this new policy. No, you, you are correct. That is, that is, and so this year we were able to work with the mayor's office. I think what they, what, moving forward, what I anticipate will happen in order for us to get our work plan approved by PP&E, we probably, and let's say by the beginning of the year, that means we're probably going to have to be working on it and getting it established November, December in order to get it done and all approved by January of the following year. So no, you're, you're correct. That is, that is exactly what is happening. Commissioner Guerrero. Uh, Madam Chair, I just wanted to see is, that isn't that is true with one little bunny ear that we can, as long as it's not a not a formalized body, but it, as, if it's five or less of us, we can still get together and work on stuff and then come and present it. I thought that was the, you know, 
bunny ear. No, that's, well, see, and this is where things got confusing. Mm -hmm. We were under the impression, we had been focusing on chapter 2.40, right, which removes the ability for us to do ad hocs, and therefore any type of official body was going to be a subcommittee. And we were like, okay, great, but we can still do small working groups. We were just informed that chapter 17C basically requires that, and this goes back to the question that um, Commissioner was asking about, that any future work that we're doing has to be approved by PPNE. But actually, how does a small working group, a small working group, fit into Chapter 17C? What way? So. Well, because the thing is, okay, part of the issue with the work plan was that we established it, we, we talked about it, but if at the end of the day there's three commissioners getting together and doing all this work on the side and they don't come in front, and, you know, they come in mid-year and say, hey, we have recommendations that we want the commission to consider, how would that be treated? Because that's not, that was never formal, that was just something that three commissioners got together and were able to do. On an issue that's outside of your work plan or on Correct. an issue that's Correct. inside? Okay. That'll be something that I will address through the memo. Okay. Because I, I believe the answer there will clarify it for you. We're still working through the details, but that's a really good question. And for the record, just to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to jump in there. To clarify, like, we still do not have a, like, a formal written process to consider specifically our recommendations. I mean, it goes through the PMPE committee, but, like, we're still kind of waiting on, like, we haven't gotten specifics on what that timeline is like, right? That, that, that's part of the question, but maybe I just want to make sure that we're clear of that. There is no written policy yet that establishes for, a recommend, like for how our recommendations are considered and approved by city council for that. I think there is, but it's high level. And uh, like a specific date or how long, that's not there, but it's, there's something, but it's high level. But I understand what you're saying. So kind of open to interpretation based upon the members that are considering it? That, um, I mean, as far as the, um, the agenda scheduling, I would imagine whatever's on the PP&E schedule and their process and when they meet. And so I think a, a number of things goes into it. And it's much better if once you have the memo, have follow-up questions I'm happy to meet to discuss those follow-up questions <clears throat> but as it's a new process more than likely this will be a step-by-step case-by-case answer mm -hmm. and I won't be able to give you spe broad specifics yep. so I don't want you to have that expectation that I'm going to flesh out yep. the yep. entire process in my memo, but I'm going to give you what the law says and what city council rules say. Right. But I'm happy to address any follow-up questions that arise as you read the memo. Looking, looking forward to that because, like, yeah, that was one of the key concerns is, like, you know, according to Rule 17 or C, um, under Section 3, like Line C, it states that the PMP committee may request supplemental information from staff of the advisory body before sending it to city council, meaning, like, you know, if they request additional information from us regarding our recommendations that are tied to our work plan, uh, we could be waiting months, 
if PMPE members request additional information before approving, which they could ultimately reject, meaning that any priorities that we set for this work plan, we essentially can't begin upon until we get that explicit authorization from uh, PMPE. And based upon my understanding of this past Tuesday's city council uh, decision that uh, limits, you know, if, if a proposal um, or, 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 or initiative is rejected by that committee, um, the committee, it, it would go up to city council for an up or down vote, but if city council doesn't approve it by a majority, they basically means that like we can't bring back the same recommendation or like, you know, they, they won't have to consider that for up to 12, but for another 12 months, basically. So I, that, that's like significant concerns for how quickly we can actually get started within our work. And if we can't agendize things based upon our recommendations priorities, that's why it's like such a significant concern. I'm not saying this of like, you know, like, like for you specifically, I'm putting this into the public record so that members of the public that are following this will know and understand where our confusion is and hopefully ask their council members and, and the city for further clarification, so. Um, Commissioner Guerrero, before we go to you, maybe that is gonna be part of the follow-up log, if we can have a presentation on what the process is that we need to follow, just to make sure that there's clarity for all of us, because I think it was, we had been focusing on chapter 2.40, 2 but then we were notified that there's another, you know, there's other governing laws that we don't know about. And so it would be helpful for us to just have a presentation to basically understand what the process is that we need to follow and the timelines. And then we will, we will do it. We just need to know what the process is. Um, all right, Commissioner Guerrero. I was gonna get myself in trouble, trouble Madam Chair. I, I, I'm gonna make a broader statement. I hope that the interpretation that we end up getting is one that allows the commission to do the work that we were appointed to do. If it doesn't, I think we need to have a conversation and ask ourselves what we're doing here. But I think that conversation, we can save until we know because I don't wanna be over dramatic, it's late. I need to get to my baby. <laughs> but it's a serious one because yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Commissioner Carter. Yes, um, I, de I definitely echo what Commissioner Guerrero is saying because my personal position is that when they decided to change all the rules, they effectively just castrated the commission. They took our power away and it is what it is. Now, whatever we do, the work plan for the year, you gotta run it up the flagpole to this new entity. And they say yay or nay on whether you can even do whatever you put on the piece of paper. That's, that's what this new rule and new process is done you know, not sugarcoating anything that it, it, that's just the bottom line. When you peel the onion and you look at what's on the table, they've castrated the commission because they got 115 recommendations that have been sitting there for the last four years and they haven't done anything about it. So this is a way they can control the recommendation process. That, that's, that's what's going on. So that's for the public, take it up with your council person, but that's, that's the bottom line. And again, if they're not going to let us do our job, if they're not going to let us do oversight, then why are we here? Because I've been here since the beginning. I've been here since 
whenever they created this review commission. And prior to that, I was on the racial profiling commission. So I've been sitting here a long time. Neither mm -hmm. of you are wrong. I completely share and agree with your frustrations and take on it. Um, to his credit, the mayor did provide pretty clear direction at Tuesday's uh, city council meeting saying that whatever the interpretation is, it shouldn't prevent the city, like prevent our commission from discussing the things that we want. Um, I'm hoping that that is clear direction for city staff, for the city clerk's office, the city manager's office, and the city attorney's office to allow us to agendize discussion items like we did tonight. But if that is going to be used by future, like either by future city council members or future uh, city staffers to effectively hamstring us and prevent us from actually doing our work, then yeah, like it's it is what it is. It's an attempt to literally control and uh, prevent any sort of ability for the commission to function effectively like we have been over the last, uh, like since our creation. And from my understanding, uh, from folks inside city, like inside city Hall, we have been one of the most, if not the most effective commission to produce recommendations um, among its boards and commissions. So take that for what you will. I would encourage folks uh, in the public to also raise this question with their council members. Well, I think that's one of the reasons it's so important for us to have an understanding of what exactly, what are the things that are expected of the commission to do? And then I think once we have that clarity, it's easier because I'll, I'll, I'll be frank with you, once we alerted um, the mayor about it, I don't think that was his intention. And so the question for me is, what is the expectation for the commission? What are the rules that we're supposed to abide by? And do they make sense? Do they still allow us to actually do our work or not? And if they don't, I think we do need to kind of alert the city council and say, these are all of the things that we are required to do. That is not necessarily, I think, what many of us signed up for. And if it makes our job that much more difficult, given that we are a volunteer commission, given that we don't really have staff, we've been bounced around a lot, and we have to do a lot of work to try to kind of even get the agenda set up. I think it's important for us to have that discussion. I think you're right, Mr. Commissioner Guerrero. If we have a, a better understanding of what the process is, and we just need to be honest about what it's the process is being used for. So, Adriel, I know I appreciate the work that you do. You've been very helpful for us, but I'm just it's a bigger question that I think we need to kind of sort out. So, with that. Um, our last item, we have uh, public comments, matters not on the agenda. Anybody wishing to speak on that item? Thank you, Chair. I have received no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have no hands raised uh, online. Great. All right. Any other final comments before we adjourn? All right. I can do this. Meeting adjourned.